Salutations. Welcome to Podmortem. I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez, joined as always by my co-host, my husband and my brother. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. Hi, I'm Travis Hunter. This week, we're recording live from an isolated motel discussing the 2003 psychological horror thriller, Identity. This film was directed by James Mangold and written by Michael Cooney. Inspired by the poem Antigonish by William Hughes Mearns and the Agatha Christie novel And Then There Were None, Identity creates a unique story. With a talented cast and multiple twists, this film is a standout in a sea of early 2000s horror films. This film was requested to us by friends of the show, Megan Martinez, TJ Bronson, Molly Gerhardt, Ambular Belladonna, Blaine Hancock, Sydney Carr, Noreen S., and Emily Riggin. Thank you so much to each and every one of you for your support and for the suggestion. So, what did you guys think of Identity the first time you saw it? So, I was 18 or 19 when this came out, and uh, I remember watching it. I don't think I seen it until it was on till it came out on DVD. Okay. Um so maybe what 20 then. But I remember seeing it and I this was a movie that I kept in the DVD player. Mm-hmm. Like this movie will always was like oh shit here. Oh man, you know. <laughs> uh but it it is a good movie and I do remember really really liking it and then watching it again for the show I was like all right. I was like I I, I still enjoy this. <laughs> Still the nostalgia, I guess. Oh, yeah. We watched the hell out of this. Yes. I can't remember if we saw it in theaters or not. Uh, We might have. I don't remember. But I remember seeing it a lot on DVD. Probably like you. And I think that the thing about it is that we talk about films that have really good twists. Yeah. And a lot of twists that come up in films is it's kind of like, oh, well, what if we did? Yeah. Yeah. This isn't one of those. No. Like they have so many seeds planted that it is that rewarding watch for you to go back and be like, oh shit, they were telling us this then. And yeah, that's awesome. That's the kind of twist I like. Oh yeah. The twist is so good Mm -hmm. that when you rewatch it, you're like, how the fuck did I not see it coming? Like how did I not put that together? (laughs) I gotta be honest with you, watching it as an adult for the show now, like when the movie (laughs) as soon as the movie starts (laughs) I'm like, oh well, clearly. (laughs) And it's so fucking weird because as a kid you're just like, Yeah, 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 get past that. (laughs) Don't care, don't care. (laughs) And then and then the movie and you're like oh what the fuck yeah. <laughs> but yeah somehow it just works so well i don't know um it's a very fun mystery i think that's yeah. that's what i enjoy about it it is that whodunit yeah element that i really like for sure and the cast oh man like we've already said it before we love john cusack in this house right. fucking mm-hmm. ray Liotta. oh yeah i'm so sad yeah, that he's gone yeah, he's one that i feel like i block it out and then i remember so yeah. it's like reliving it every time i think about no, it it's, it's very upsetting. sad i i i do real quick i you're right As, even then when i watched it it was like all right let's get this opening <laughs> let's but yeah. yeah but but i think it is it's more the journey yes through the whole movie and even that watching it now you're like okay yeah you did tell us what was going on, but the whole <laughs> way through, you're still sitting there like, oh, uh-huh. yeah, like, this is great. It's like, hold on, hold on, let me pause this. You've seen it. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? You can hear it from the other room. No, I still want to watch yeah, it. Yeah, I, wanna see yeah, it I still want to see what's going on. Yeah. Um, but the first time, like you said, we watched this a lot, mm-hmm. like a lot, a lot, like to the point where I remember lines like yeah. I knew everything that was going to happen. I knew the lines that were about to be said Mm -hmm. but still when the other shoe drops at a certain point i got goosebumps and i was like bitch you knew (laughs) like you knew this was happening 
But it's just so funny that you mentioned the beginning because when I was writing the script for this, <laughs> I was like, wow. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we were all just like opening credits, opening yeah, credits yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> but I love this. I loved it when I was a teenager. I love it now. Mm. It's hard because a lot of these films that meant a lot, you go back and it's like, oh, like I can see why I liked it then. Yeah. But this, I still love this as an adult. If oh, I watched yeah. this for the first time, I think that I would still love it. I think mm. that's fair. I am. I've said this a million times before addicted to that twist ending. Like that's a real, if you have a decent twist ending, that's a really easy way to just get me on board. (laughs) Like, honestly, that's why I'm a fucking M night defender. I was going to bring it up. Death. Okay. Um, I love a good twist and this is a good fucking twist. I will say uh, one negative drawback of having become an adult and watching it again is taking some abnormal psychology classes and well, learning that things aren't yeah. <laughs> not exactly accurate. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> but um, it's it is it's a very well put together film as well. Yeah. yeah. And that's the other thing that I didn't realize as much as a kid, but know now. I love single location films. Yes. Yeah. If it's like one location and using that for all, you know, really, there's a few cutaways here and there, but we're mostly in that one place. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. then it's it's really two. You know what I mean? Yeah, Even yeah, with yeah. the cutaways. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's really, really cool as well. I did want to talk a little bit about how it came to be because it was such a... I don't know why I thought it was a sweet story that I heard anyway. On commentary, James Mangold said that the producer, Kathy Conrad, bought the script. And it just so happens that Kathy Conrad is married to James Mangold. Uh. And so he, she was telling him about the script. And then the next morning over coffee and breakfast, he was like... I think I want to direct that. Oh, that is cute. <laughs> and so that's how it came to be. Nice. Just a nice little breakfast. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, I thought that was very sweet. But um, he saw it kind of as a throwback because it really does feel Hitchcockian in a lot of it ways. Does. Yeah. Then it kind of feels like those old uh, mysteries, like the old mystery novels, which also reminds me back to your intro where you said Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie. And then there were none. By the fucking way. Yeah, you kind of ruined my world. Yeah. <laughs> I have not read that book. Right. And so I went last night to look up and maybe read a plot summary because you see a lot that it's um, loosely based or whatever. Okay. They even, they even not saying its name, but they even mention it in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, if you type in and then there were none on Wikipedia, uh, the original title of that book punches you in the fucking face. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I did not know that. Um, the font was aggressive. It was too. very, like, it was very upsetting. I None was about of, to go to bed, and I was like, "Now you leave this shit yeah. on me." <laughs> Stayed awake for another couple yes. hours. <laughs> Just angry. I'm still awake, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to tell you what it is. But um, you can Google it, to, or not, <laughs> or don't. Yeah. yeah, don't. But um, I think that I like that this kind of. It's almost like what were we uh, speaking about? Maybe it was uh, 1408. Okay. okay. Where we had said that even though there's like modern sensibilities to everything in the core of it is kind of an old fashioned yeah. situation. Yeah. I love how you made it sound like we were talking about it recently and that was you know, it was a- <laughs> <laughs> a But John Cusack. <laughs> but yeah, John Cusack. <laughs> we're back. I'm not that far off. <laughs> now, before we sentence this film, we would like to show a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, then let's check in. So we hear the sound of thunder over the logos before the film even begins, Mm -hmm. which we've already talked about 
the submersion and whatnot. <laughs> we love to see it. Very much. But as the credits roll against a black background, we hear a voice reciting, as I was going up the stair, I met a man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. I wish, I wish he'd go away. Now, <laughs> the way that I was ate up by this fucking poem when I was a junior, <laughs> I had this taped to my wall. Like, mm -hmm. fucking obsessed. <laughs> But you also, you wrote it on the paper to uh, tape it on your wall. Well, yeah. <laughs> couldn't find a poster. <laughs> you don't worry about it. <laughs> you got to do the best is what you got. Okay? Fair point. Um, that is, and I don't know if it was meant to be terrifying when it was written, but it's terrifying. It is. Yeah. I, I read the poem and it's pretty scary. It's really, really short, but it has that weird, like ambiguous, like, is he there? Or is he not? Like it, it, it's like that. It's only like three it's like this piece and then two more. Mm -hmm. But it's fucking it scared me. Well, um, you know, I read that some say that it inspired The Man Who Sold the World by David Bowie. Very, oh, I can see that. Right. And if you think about it, they passed upon, upon the, the stair. stair. Yeah. yeah. All of it. So, I mean. Very cool. Two cool things came out of this. Yeah. And it's in the public domain. So, really. Is it really? Yeah. Right. Well, let's fucking write according, the third thing. <laughs> according to the Google search. Oh, okay. <laughs> But we see that the poem is being played from a tape recorder. The tape is labeled with the patient's name, Malcolm Rivers. It plays next to Malcolm Rivers's patient files. Rivers's, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is, but it just... You can say Malcolm's, <laughs> okay, you know? Malcolm's <laughs> cut that, cut that. A doctor's voice asks where he learned the poem, and Malcolm Rivers responds that he made it up. So he's a fucking liar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no matter what we learn about this guy... <laughs> Worst of all, he's a plagiarist. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The tape is forwarded and we get flashes of a mugshot and crude drawings of bleeding stick figures. The doctor asks what else Malcolm remembers from back then. And Malcolm, in a harsher tone, repeats over and over again, don't beat around the bush, doc, louder each time. So he's also rude. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a plagiarist and he's rude. He's, he's great. This is yeah. Right, yeah. Cool. Undeterred, the doctor asks what Malcolm remembers of his mother. We flip through paperwork on Malcolm's mother, Callie Rivers, multiple mugshots. Her record includes petty larceny, possession, sex work, parole violations. Malcolm repeats that he remembers his mom before finally saying, I remember my mom was a whore. Jesus. So I feel the three strikes. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's an asshole. <laughs> We finally get the title card next to Malcolm's doctor's face as he looks over these files and paperwork. He is Dr. Malik, played by Alfred Molina. Doc Ock, if you're nasty. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you have to be nasty? I don't know. <laughs> Otto Octavius, man. Yes. Yeah, man. <laughs> I, I will admit I'm very surprised uh, of the cast, as we had said before. Yeah. yeah. But seeing Alfred Molina, I always forget because literally every time this film starts, I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Like dead serious, and so I forget that he's even in this. And then when he pops up, it's like, oh shit, Alfred Molina! I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad I finally watched it as an adult. Where this stuff, I'm like, oh, no, it's yeah. so incredibly yeah. important. It is. <laughs> like, it's even, unbelievably even important. Even him being a fucking jerk about his mom. Yes. Yeah. Incredibly important. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> pay attention. Pay attention. <laughs> But he looks over the mugshots of Callie Rivers once again before forwarding the tape some more. His recorded voice asks Malcolm how long she kept him there. And Malcolm replies, as long as she was busy. Dr. Malik looks over a headline that reports a nine-year-old boy abandoned at a local motel, along with the picture of the boy sitting in the back of a cop car. 
Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Get past it. Get past it. <laughs> Come on. I do not care. <laughs> Dr. Malik asks Malcolm if he understands why he's talking with him. And Malcolm replies that Dr. Malik is good with headaches and he needs something stronger than aspirin. Dr. Malik flips to Malcolm's mugshot and we see him. Malcolm Rivers, played by Pruitt Taylor Vince. I feel like he's one of those actors that anytime he pops up, you remember him. Yeah. yeah. And this, he doesn't have a lot of time in this film. But he, I know as a kid, major impression. I was like, yeah. oh my no, God. Yeah. He uses every second he has. Yes, mm -hmm. it's pretty remarkable. But Dr. Malik asks if Malcolm remembers the murders as he looks over brutal and bloody crime scene photos and autopsy reports. Malcolm simply responds that he remembers that Columbia is the capital of South Carolina. Dr. Malik forwards again, more horrible imagery from the photo cycling as he does and stops on Malcolm repeating over and over, qual es la punta de vivir? And I did talk to my friend Sandra and this is not the um, appropriate way you would say that, but <laughs> in English, what is the point of living? Basically. <laughs> so I did want to point out the thing about the capital of South Carolina. Yeah. Because that specific example does not come up right yeah but the idea of it yes. yeah yeah again very important yes <laughs> to pay attention yeah. <laughs> you can just really forward yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was like yeah 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 starring john cusack yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever yeah, whatever we got, we got an amanda pete yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> But Dr. Malik jots down source of evil on a notepad while his voice asks Malcolm on the tape, are you the person who murdered six residents of the Lake Worth Apartments on May 10th, 1998? And Malcolm responds that that's his birthday. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you can really just forward the yeah. whole thing. <laughs> the, the funny thing is that just above source of evil is something even more yeah. like dead giveaway. <laughs> Do and you want to share or not yet? No. Okay. no. <laughs> we'll, we'll save that. Yeah. But um, it's, it's one of those things that it's like I can totally see somebody if somebody's because I was not I was a child. But if someone's super astute and they're watching this like beat for beat, they've got the end. Right, yeah, yeah. right. Like they've got it already. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just surprising to me. <laughs> He scans over a headline that reports a renowned psychiatrist is going to testify for the defense. Another headline reads, insanity plea denied. Dr. Malik asks him who he's speaking with and what he should call Malcolm. And Malcolm plainly tells him to call him whatever he wants. I did think it was funny that he is. Some of those articles are about Dr. Malik. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, and this is when I joined. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be proud of yourself. Yeah. I guess so. He's Got to like, oh. show that he's credible. Exactly. Yeah. Renowned. He's a renowned psychiatrist. Some of this is research. Some of this is for the scrapbook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's sorting it out. That's what the first scene is. Yeah. <laughs> you can really just forward it. Mm. But we get to a phone ringing. The district attorney, Gary, played by Marshall Bell, is laying down, but reaches out to put the phone on speaker. On the other end, the assistant district attorney, Greg, played by Matthew Letcher, breathlessly asks if he's awake. After Gary answers annoyed that he is, we see Greg walking briskly through a building. He alerts Gary that there's going to be a midnight hearing in the Rivers case. He says that the defense found a misfiled diary and argued that it was suppressed. 
this causes Gary to sit straight up. Now, I am fully aware that this is an utterly cheesy moment, uh -huh. but I love it every single time. He's like, what the hell are you talking about? And Thunder's like, yeah. <laughs> It adds to the drama. Yeah, like, oh, shit. <laughs> suppressed. It's just the stakes are very high. I feel like if a piece of evidence that large was suppressed. Massive. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you got to have a midnight hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, you might have a mistrial. Yeah, oh, no yeah. shit. I mean, I know the trial's already settled, but yeah. you can fucking... Get that shit thrown out. Yeah. At least a retrial. You know there what I mean? There you go, yeah. We're not lawyers. We're, not <laughs> <laughs> We're probably very wrong. Yeah. I've played a lot of Ace Attorney. <laughs> ah, I've watched a lot of <laughs> television. <laughs> yeah, I see Legal Legal every now and then. There you go. Yeah. And I, we, watched, we all watched all of Better Call Saul. Oh, all of yeah. It. So I think that's some kind of degree, right? Uh, a degree in <laughs> chicanery. <laughs> <laughs> Harvey Birdman. There, there you go. go. Yeah, yeah, we're experts. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Bird law. <laughs> <laughs> but Greg says that all of this just happened. There's not even going to be any media at the hearing. It's all under the radar. But the prison transport left Ely about an hour ago. Gary is confused, but Greg says that this diary has given the defense the opportunity to argue insanity again and that they need Rivers here. He says that Rivers is pumped full of drugs and put on a bus to come to the hearing. Flabbergasted, Gary asks if they're really sending Malcolm Rivers to a hearing the night before his execution. Angrily, he asks Greg how he could have let this happen. So, I mean, it's a little it's a little heavy handed. Yeah. <laughs> Who gives a fuck? You know what I mean? Uh -huh. <laughs> really? You probably forwarded this whole part. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Getting snacks. Yeah. Yes. Need to refill my drink already. Fluff your pillows start. up. You know yeah. what I mean? Now's yeah. the time to do that. When you none see, of this is important. When you see John Cusack <laughs> stop. Yeah. That's, yeah when that. that's when you keep watching. <laughs> but we cut to a motel standing solitary with its lights on in a storm raging outside. Inside at the front desk, Larry, played by John Hawks, takes shots and watches Wheel of Fortune. I am glad to see that he made it out of I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. <laughs> I was worried because it looked like he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Usually when you get hooked in the face. Yeah. <laughs> but I he mean, made up his mind and he's not wasting no more time. He's the lead singer. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> he plays along with the TV, continuing to take shots until a car quickly pulls up. Now, is this how you're... I, I've never watched Wheel of Fortune as a practice. No, you yeah. have to drink while but, you watch Because <laughs> <laughs> he's watching it like sports. Yeah. He's like, God damn it, buy yeah, it <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh, you missed the vow. God, shit. <laughs> Fucking throws his shoe at he the TV. He had money on it. Yeah. yeah. yeah so money on well, Wheel of Fortune. going to break my kneecaps because <laughs> he, he didn't solve it. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to make your own fun. Hmm. But George York, played by John C. McGinley, who I know you're a big fan of. Indeed. Busts in the door, cradling his bleeding wife, Alice York, played by Layla Kinzel. Tearfully, he tells Larry that they had an accident and it freeze frames. Now, no. the freeze frames, <laughs> listen, yeah. they were a choice, all right? I don't know if I would have made that choice, but I'm not mad at him for making it. Yeah. I'm not mad at <laughs> it's him. It's fine. But I am yeah. laughing at him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and star wipe. It's yeah. because they happen... Very a lot. often. Well, <laughs> we got to take it back. Yeah, we, got, we do. You got to take it back. I do remember that being one of the things I laughed at a lot when I was a kid. Yeah. Because it, I don't know why, but just the audio continuing in his mouth, just like wide open, is pretty yeah. funny. <laughs> and it happens a lot. It happens yeah, it a does. lot. I did want to say John C. McGinley, like to see him play this kind of character is very surprising. Yeah. Because he's usually being mean and yeah, yeah. sarcastic. Yeah. yeah. But he's very, like, he does a good job, though. Yeah. Job, right. 
Yes. Yeah. Scrubs. Right. Yeah. He was a big he, fan of Scrubs. I was. He does a lot of stuff. Like he really, does. this dude. I see him and stuff, and I'm like, man, he's just here and there for years. Yeah. yeah. For a long time. He's had a very good career. Oh yeah. Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> we flash back to George driving with his family, Alice, and their young son Timmy, played by Brett Lore in the rain. Timmy plays with very loud toys in the backseat <laughs> until Alice asks him to stop. He's annoyed, but he listens. Alice asks if George is sure that he doesn't want her to drive, and he assures her that he's fine and she can take over after they stop later to eat. Suddenly, one of their tires blows, and George calmly narrates the steps to safely stop the car, following them as he does so until they are safely pulled over. In the rain, George inspects the tire and pulls out a zebra print high-heeled shoe. He holds it up to show Alice, who is still inside the car, that it was a shoe that gave them the flat, and then we freeze frame. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Once again. All My Life by Foo Fighters plays as Paris, played by Amanda Peet, drives a convertible. It's not raining. It's not even nighttime yet. She puts a cigarette in her mouth and searches around for her lighter, but it freeze frames. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) As she remembers where her lighter is. I did want to say about that song. Um, I remember being that age, and at that time, that was one of the coolest fucking songs I'd oh, ever yeah. heard. <laughs> <laughs> like in my entire life. For real. I think Dave Grohl had a see through guitar in the music video. Yeah. And that only made it cooler. <laughs> <laughs> but we cut to her wearing lingerie and diamonds, lighting candles on a pile of whipped cream. She seductively sings for He's a Jolly Good Fellow as we pan over to see that the mountain of whipped cream is actually on the chest of Naked Businessman, played by Michael Hirsch, who was bound to the bed and really just generally happy to be alive. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's, I guess he's got a fetish. He's like, I've always wanted to be a birthday cake. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Can can you do that for me? It's we not even it's not even his yeah. birthday. <laughs> <laughs> we don't kink shame here. No, no, no. Uh, some people like their back scratched up by yeah. ghosts. Some yeah. People, yeah. Some, <laughs> as we've learned. Some people yeah. want to be a birthday cake. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> but after using the lighter, she slips it into her suitcase. I do want to call something out um, because I am unsure because it kind of slips in and out a lot during yeah. the movie. But when she's singing the song, she has a very, very, very thick accent. Yeah. It's here and it's not. It's here and it's not. It, and <laughs> it, when it's not, it is not. But she's like, nobody can. Yeah. Like, she sounds like fucking Luann Platter. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then suddenly she's, she's from California. Yeah, not Luann Platter. <laughs> she does. <laughs> I'm serious. And then because I, I, I took notice of that because she really enunciated that. Yeah. And then later on, she's just Well, maybe she's, maybe, yeah. maybe she's playing it up for the client, too. Maybe. But like, right. Because even I'm, when... Yeah. Even I want to be a southern birthday cake. No, yeah. <laughs> I am a red velvet cake. <laughs> because even when, <laughs> even when she kind of has it, when she's talking to people later, it's not like no, no, that no. Yeah. it's not so <laughs> 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 this is the only parents unfortunately have luann platter oh, I'm sorry <laughs> sorry about that but back in the convertible paris reaches into the back seat and opens the latch on her suitcase causing light and sheer clothing to fly away she reaches out toward them but makes no effort to stop and collect her things as lightning begins to strike in the distance we see a zebra print heel laying in the road as paris drives away now, okay, at my big age uh-huh. of 
33 years old. I had to remember how old I was. <laughs> it just occurred to me watching it for this show that that shoe would not have flown out of this. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Every other time I was just like, oh, oh man, yeah. she lost all her shit. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> doesn't matter. I just wanted to thank the movie for telling me how the shoe got there. Uh, true. Right. right. It thinks. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we yeah. freeze frame for a reason. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but all that wouldn't have flew out. Like, no. Yeah, but who's counting? We are. No. <laughs> okay. So back with the Yorks, George replaces the tire that blew. And Alice stands over him with an umbrella. She asks him why they didn't get a better replacement. And he's kind of snippy saying that they're expensive. And the whole point is that they need to save up to get Timmy into the right school. Does he mean like college? I don't know. Yeah. Timmy's quite young. Buy a tire. Yeah. If yeah. we're doing that. That's like 12 years away. Yeah. Alice, trying to calm him, asks what she can do to help, but he just takes a breath and assures her that he's fine. Timmy knocks on his window inside the car and Alice goes over to him smiling. It was funny because I kind of thought she was holding the umbrella for George because yeah. he's working in the rain. She's just like, we'll see you. Yeah. He said you're fine, Ben. He's <laughs> like, you don't need this but, either. Yeah. <laughs> But Timmy places his hand against the glass and she places hers against his on the opposite side. He pulls his hand away and just smiles at his mother before scooting back in the seat. Mimicking him, Alice steps back too and tells Timmy, then you can just drop fucking dead. No, no, no. She shouldn't say that, but she is hit by a limo. Yeah. <laughs> I literally wrote in my notes, I said the only other one that was more surprising was... Literally, every time yeah. somebody gets hit, out of nowhere that i'm in final destination that's it absolutely (laughs) yeah i kind of already it was a little telegraphed here you thought so yeah Yeah. not me well i think for me it was when she stepped back Uh uh-huh because she took a step back and i was like now why would you do that why would you yeah because timmy scooted back and they were mimicking each other (laughs) but timmy's in the car yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah look the laws of simon says (laughs) (laughs) she really there was nothing or whatever they were playing there was one thing that was mentioned by Mangold on commentary. He was talking about because there's a lot of other moments in the film where the way that it's shot and what happens do not line up with each other. Yeah. And it's intentional yeah. because it's meant to shock you. And he called it kind of a non-anticipatory camera. And that's kind of how I felt. I feel more about it with something else that happens later. Okay. But this one, I felt like they were way more focused on... Timmy? Yeah. It? yeah. Yes, it's Timmy. <laughs> okay. then What's his... the boy's name? <laughs> it's important, but um, more than more him than his mother. Okay, yeah. okay. And so I was more focused on him, and so when she got hit, it did surprise me. All right, yeah. all right. I wasn't expecting it at all. Especially when I was a kid. Yeah. Because yeah. now I'm no, like, yeah. oh, this is where the mom Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you watch it 20 times. Exactly. You know? Maybe it was that, too, <laughs> though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, go figure yeah, it out. Maybe yeah. it was that as well. <laughs> But she rolls over the hood and the limo slams on its brakes. Frantic, George crawls over to Alice, who is still breathing, but he screams at the limo driver, what have you done? And it freeze frames. (laughs) We cut to the limo earlier where Carolyn Suzanne, played by Rebecca de Mornay, talks on her cell phone. She tells the person on the other end that she's walked off set and she doesn't care if they say she's in breach because they clearly didn't read her deal. Apparently, they had the audacity to have her booked at a Ramada. How dare they? What the fuck is wrong with them, right? 
I don't know. Please yeah, book me. <laughs> please book yeah. me out of Vermont. If you're paying for my hotel, I'll stay yeah, there. No shit. Just yeah. no bed bugs, please. That's I'm not, all. That's, that's fine. all I ask. Yeah. And no like uh, holes in the manager's office to watch through. And or that, oh, yeah. you know, I didn't think I had to say that, but you're absolutely right. No, you have to say that. <laughs> yeah. No glory holes, please. No. Yeah, oh, no, no, that's no. not at all what no, I was no. saying, but all right. Oh, not those. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, I, w- I wanted to mention it was the other Rebecca de Mornay, not... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but her phone beeps, indicating a low battery, and she calls out to the limo driver, Ed, played by the John Cusack, that she has a spare battery in her bag up there next to him. What is it about John Cusack that he just... There's a relatable like magnetism you just can't right? help but love him yeah I, even when he was younger like even in the 80s stuff like yeah. i don't know you just you just love him they had said on commentary he was the first actor of this ensemble that was cast yeah and if you're building your cast around no shit john cusack yeah. you're in a good spot i'm oh, in yeah. yeah yeah but ed asks which bag and she specifies annoyed the louis vuitton duffel he reaches in, still keeping an eye on the road as she touches up her makeup in the back seat. He asks exactly where in the bag it is, and she yells at him, telling him to use his fucking eyes because it's in the side pocket. <laughs> I couldn't do it. Her yeah. hands are free. Yeah. yeah. It was like when Mr. Burns was making Smithers pedal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's just chilling. After he got stung by the bee, it's like, dude, fucking do something. <laughs> You're not doing anything. <laughs> He's looking into the bag as she yells at him, but he looks up just in time to see Alice York standing in the road right before he hits her. She crashes into the windshield and rolls over the top of the vehicle. He is in disbelief, but snaps back to reality when he hears George screaming. I do want to point out, I don't know if it's in John Cusack's contract. Does he have a toothpick in every film that he's in? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good yeah. <laughs> As soon as I saw it, I was like, you're just yeah. Mike Inslin again. Yeah. <laughs> he starts to get out of the car, but Carolyn grabs his jacket, stopping him. She says that if he helps them, then he's assuming responsibility. What? He is. He yeah, says that it, he is responsible. He's like, let go of me. <laughs> well, I mean, she was being an asshole and yes. bothering him. Yeah, like she's a piece of shit. Drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you heard, but she literally grabs him and says, no, fool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. It's a bit much. <laughs> But he steps out into the rain, pleading with George to let him take a look at Alice. George, self-soothing, begins to recite the textbook laws of the steps to take if any motor vehicle operator is involved in an accident. Timmy walks over to them and Ed asks if there are any towels in the car. Timmy just stares at his mother and Ed scoops him up, taking him to the York's car to help him look for towels. Ed leaves Timmy in the car and returns with a towel for George, who is still rocking and reciting to himself. Ed goes back to his limo and tries to open the back door, but it's locked. He yells at Carolyn inside to open the door because they need to use her phone, but she yells no. Ed immediately snatches up the tire iron that George was using and bashes the window open with it. He leans inside, demanding that she give him the goddamn phone. She hands it over, but says that it's dead. Could have said that before. Yeah. Because no just makes you sound rude. <laughs> yeah, no shit. She like, was not trying to be involved in any way. She didn't even want the guy driving her who did it to be involved in any way. <laughs> also true. No, fool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remember? Not only that, that was I, this is a little something too later, and I know it's really small, <laughs> but uh, 
I remember in 2003, if my phone got wet, it was fucked. Oh, that's so, true. Oh, that's I don't know why, why you're bringing this phone out into the rain like that. We need it because, right now. Because uh, my Nokia... That's it. It was a brick. Uh-huh. And if it was wet, it was literally a brick. Yeah, you, it did nothing. You yeah. can't even play Snake anymore. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> that's sad. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the real tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> But we switch back to Paris, who comes to a dead end when she finds the road in front of her completely flooded. This, too, it never occurred to me why she hasn't put her hood up because it is pouring rain. Yeah, at this point. yeah I was very confused by that as well. I don't know. Hood, top, roof. roof. Yeah. Whatever. You know what the fuck I mean. The hood is where the. Yeah, that's yeah. where the room room is. <laughs> <laughs> I know cars. <laughs> but she backs up wildly, slamming into a light pole and causing it to sway and spark. The limo pulls into the motel with Carolyn up front with Ed and the York family in the back seat. George busts in again, telling Larry that there was an accident and asking if he can use the phone. He lays Alice down on the couch and Ed walks in with Timmy. Larry checks the phone for connection, but says that the lines are down and it happens sometimes in the rain. He tells Ed about a 24 hour emergency center 30 miles away. Ed sits Timmy down in a chair, but Timmy can't take his eyes off of Alice. Ed cautions George to keep pressure on Alice's wound and says that he'll be back with an ambulance. He goes back out to the limo and takes Carolyn's suitcases out of the trunk and tosses them in front of the motel. (laughs) He does the same with her bags in the front seat. He apologizes to Carolyn, saying that this is a step down from the Ramada, which I love that his petty ass was just sitting up there listening to her. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe like, this, this shit. Bitch, dude. <laughs> but this is going to have to do, he says. She yells at him, asking if he's out of his mind because she is not staying here. She reminds him that he works for her and commands him to get her bags and get back in the car. In response to this, Ed drags Carolyn out of the limo and sets her with her bags in front of the motel. (laughs) This bitch says that she knows a bleeding person has a medical condition, but so does she. Her lung walls have depleted cilia and staying here might cause her to asphyxiate. Wow. I don't think that that's... (laughs) (laughs) I just want to like punch her in her face. (laughs) Ed does not break his stride or listen to anything that she's saying. He simply gets back into the limo and peels off. We cut to Paris as her convertible slows. She pleads with it to keep going, but it finally slows to a complete stop. She sees a pair of headlights coming toward her and gets out of her car, rushing toward it to flag it down. When the windows roll down, it's Ed who agrees to give her a ride. In the limo, Paris notices the book Being and Nothingness by Jean-Paul Sartre. Hmm. which is interesting mm-hmm. um i've never read it but just it, the title the, yeah it seems to be a book on you know existentialism and <laughs> self-deception and right. you know the journeys of such things I once again in, 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 interesting yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're tripping over yourself, tripping over myself. <laughs> interesting indeed they exchange awkward looks before she asks if he knows that he's going east He says that he does because this is the way the hospital is. And she tells him that it's a dead end because it's flooded. But he says that he has to try. And this is, again, something I caught as an adult watching. Yeah. Is we learn why it's important that he has to try. Yeah. Yeah. And before it was just like, oh, he's just, you know, being the good Samaritan. Also, he did hit her. That was like my charges might increase. <laughs> <laughs> so we need I to get her. <laughs> I got to do everything. I can. 
Back at the motel, Larry makes a copy of Carolyn's ID and tells her it'll be $30 for the room. He pauses before giving her ID back, looking at the card and then back up at her before asking, hey, didn't you used to be that actress? <laughs> Damn. You know yeah, what? She needed know. She needed to be put in her fucking no, she place did. a little yeah. bit. But that's hurtful because even the look it on her face, it? she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was. <laughs> I did used to be that actress. <laughs> she says yes. Mm. He picks up the key to a room, but before he can hand it to her, she asks if it's a nice room. She says that she does plan on leaving soon, but she would still like a nice room. She takes a 50 out of her wallet that is stuffed with cash and slides it over to him with a huge diamond ring on her finger, insisting that she get his nicest room. Larry looks down at the 50 and then at the stack of money still in her wallet before handing her the same key yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that he already had, insisting that roommate is very cozy. Wow. <laughs> I don't know why there's something about John Hogg's. He's just so great in this role. He really, really is. But back at the limo, Ed sees that Paris was telling the truth. He wades in the deep water before returning to the limo that is now stuck in the water. Now, hold on, though. I know she said it was flooded, but you let this man drive off the fucking street (laughs) into this hole. Yes. Told you. She's like, this is his Slow down, slow down. Right here is, here's the hole. What if the whole Hold time up. he's like, I'm trying not to catch a rap. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, all right, fine, fuck it. Fuck it. There's a ditch. It's a giant. Yeah. You know what? You'll yeah. learn. Yeah. Yeah. You'll find out when you're Go halfway ahead. in it. Piece of shit. Thanks for picking me up, by the way. <laughs> you're very kind. Yeah. It's very wet out there. <laughs> but she reminds him that she tried to tell him. <laughs> A pair of headlights approaches and Ed waves them down, warning them that there is no way through. He's like, trust me. Yeah. Like, I learned the I hard learned way. The hard yeah. way. <laughs> and now I'm going down for murder one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm fucked. I'm yeah. fucked. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do with me. Can you give her a ride back to the... <laughs> Um, I did want to say that they actually filmed for these road scenes in like the middle of a desert and they dug out that giant like chunk to fill with water. And yeah, so it was made for the film. That is so cool. (laughs) The rain continues throughout this whole film. And I read that when they had to film on like a set yeah mm-hmm. they had to you know have the rain falling like from you know stuff to make yeah, the rain yeah, fall yeah. and that it was freezing cold and everybody was constantly getting sick oh my god but everybody is wet for like 80 well, yeah. Like, it's, yeah it's pouring rain the whole film yeah they had an interview with kathy conrad and they had said that what they did because they have a large like line of sprinkler systems mm-hmm. like that are above yeah that's what i meant well i mean <laughs> by, by the things that the make things, the rain yeah, fall <laughs> a sprinkler system yeah. people are like uh clouds <laughs> 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 they harnessed clouds yeah. listen, just listen cloud techno iCloud. <laughs> um but the sprinkler system they had because interestingly whenever you it's almost like um you use cows as horses or whatever right. yeah on the simpsons because if you do like actual rainfall the way it is as close together as the particles are it looks like mist on All film right. right and so they had to space out the sprinklers and so what they were told is that when you space them out it'll look like rain on film and your actors won't get as wet only well. one of those things is true <laughs> yeah <laughs> it does look like rain though it, and it looks natural it, it really does but inside the car, Jenny, played by our beloved Stokely herself, uh, Clea Duvall, love her. wakes up her husband, Lou, played by William Lee Scott, as she stops next to Ed. Jenny rolls down the window and Ed asks if they have a cell phone. I was like, oh, remember when it was like, do you have a phone? Yeah. Yeah. 
I love that. Remember on Scream when that was incriminating? Yeah. yeah. He what are you doing with that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of on Perfect Blue when they were like explaining the internet. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love this shit. Like I don't get any of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Lou is less than friendly, asking who wants to know. When it's like obviously me. I just yeah. I just asked you. <laughs> Ed says that there's been an accident and Lou says that they don't know him and they don't see any accident. Ed leans in past Jenny and grabs Lou. He tells him that he's had a really fucked up, really wet, very bad fucking day. So if they have a cell phone, he needs it. And Lou's like, we don't have a cell phone. Yeah. So you can like call me now, please. He's just the worst. Yeah. <laughs> he's fucking trash. I did laugh because even in the situation, Ed was very calm. Yeah. Whenever he first asked he him was. and he was like, there's been an accident, you know, yeah, yeah. et cetera. But as soon as he is at the window, Lou is like, slow down. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he was as clear as he could be. Yeah. Especially, dude, he's being pelted with rain. Yes. Yeah, no he shit. just murdered a lady. He, not, not, he just maimed a lady. <laughs> True. It's, uh, it just, all it does is set you up for how annoying and ridiculous Lou is going to oh, be. You know, yeah. Lou is trash. Yeah. Paris unloads her bags out of the limo, which I thought was a bit presumptuous. Yeah. She's like, oh, they'll take us. <laughs> well, I mean, they kind of have to. Yeah, no shit. But she makes her way over to Ed and peers in the car. Ed says that since they don't have a phone, he's going to need them to give them a ride in the opposite direction. Jenny says that it's flooded even worse back that way. But when Lou sees Paris, <laughs> he tells Jenny to pop the trunk and let them in. Yeah, what the fuck was... Uh, He's trash. Yeah. She looks at him in disbelief, and he insists that she just let them in. Ed returns to the limo and grabs his gun out of the glove compartment as Paris gets in the backseat of the car. Lou looks her up and down before asking how she's doing, and Jenny does not look happy. It's just so disrespectful. Yeah. It is. <laughs> like, it's unbelievable. it's not like, oh my God, they're stuck out in the rain. Just fucking let him in. Like, yeah, it was yeah. like he was, uh, it was a hard no. Yeah. Well, he's making him let go of him. He's like, oh, hold on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who is this? A hard no and a hard on. Uh, and I was like, all right. Just switch. Yeah, you can God get damn it. Yeah. Switch two letters. And <laughs> <laughs> well, he's like, he didn't say that part. Yeah. yeah. Like, what? You should have been clear. <laughs> should have led with that. <laughs> But the group returns back to the motel with no good news. Ed reports that he got his limo stuck in a runoff and Larry reports that the phones are still down. Ed says that both sides of the road are completely flooded and explains the people that he brought back. Jenny and Lou gave them a ride and he found Paris stranded. Larry stares at Paris, ignoring Ed when he asks if there's a back way out of the valley. He's like, is she a hooker? It's like, dude. Yeah, it's rough. And he, again, he has an accent for a moment that he doesn't have. She later. a hookup? Yeah. yeah. Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> but what does that have? What the fuck does that have to do with it? It has literally nothing to do nothing. with it. But it. It does feed into. Yeah, but we'll talk about it later. Right. Ed is annoyed, asking again if there's another way out of here. Larry says no and tells him that the Yorks are in room four when Ed asks how Alice is. So Ed takes off in that direction. Inside the lobby, Jenny looks at pamphlets of Native American tribal tombs while Lou looks at Paris's ass as she steps up to the counter. Larry is immediately rude, telling Paris that they don't rent rooms by the hour. Paris takes this in stride, though, and asks if they're still serving food. He invites her to check out the vending machines around the corner. He looks past her to Jenny and Lou, telling them that he'll need IDs for check-in and that the rooms will be $30. 
Paris draws his attention back to her, telling him that she's speaking with him and she'd appreciate it if he looked at her. He tells her that he doesn't like looking at trash. I don't know why his word choice made me laugh. Yeah. I don't like looking at trash. <laughs> I'll if, do it. Yeah, if I have but to. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> well, <laughs> there there is no need for him to be acting like this. No, no he's disgusting. I, I, that, that too. I mean, I know... I get it now. You know what I mean? I know exactly. why. But, yeah. right. but watching it, you're like, why? Why? Yeah. Yeah. Hate? For what? <laughs> I don't <laughs> like looking at <laughs> And it's from Jump. Yeah. 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 She, oh, no. Yeah. She right gets away. out of the car. And then he's like, what the fuck? She a hooker. Yeah. Hey, yo, Gabagoo. <laughs> <laughs> Were you talking to Gabagoo? <laughs> That's Ed's nickname. Oh, okay. <laughs> they go way back. <laughs> Apparently. Ed comes into the room where George presides over Alice, laying in the bed. Timmy stands behind his father. Ed tells George that he doesn't think they're going to be able to get out of here, but George ignores him. He says that Alice just keeps shaking, but Ed explains that Alice is in shock, and he asks if he can take a look at her. George steps aside, and Ed inspects the wound on her neck as she continues to shake. He asks George if Alice packed a sewing kit. Outside, Jenny and Lou get to their room, room six. Jenny jokes that at least they got a good number before Lou slams the door, causing the six to fall and become a nine. <laughs> I I don't know why <laughs> I thought that was gonna like come into play yeah. later. Yeah. Like as a trick or something, like, oh no, they're in room nine or something. Yeah. Not really. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> it just shows that the motel's shot <laughs> In the lobby, Ed looks through a drawer in search of a sewing kit. He pauses on a framed photo of a man holding up a fish on the desk. Well, he's not holding the fish on the desk. <laughs> <laughs> the photo's on the desk. Yeah. The man in the photo is holding a fish. On the lake. On the lake. <laughs> the lake is not on the desk. No. <laughs> now everyone's confused. Anyway, <laughs> he looks at the photo before noticing another car pull up. Outside, Larry notices the car as well. I never caught the photo of me neither. Him having yeah, seen neither, yeah. neither did I ever. Back in room six, as Jenny begins to unpack a bag, she abruptly stops. She asks Lou if he felt that, and when he asks what she means, she only replies, "Cold." I understand. I think they're trying to establish that she has some kind of like perceptiveness, mm -hmm. ability of some right, kind, right. but um. It doesn't help that they just came in from the rain. Of course you feel cold. Yeah. She's like, turn the AC off. Yeah. <laughs> That's number breathing. one. But it's supposed to be insinuating, you know. Yeah. But also is kind of a red herring. You know. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of red herrings. Just get past it. Forward that yeah. part. All right. <laughs> <laughs> How much of this movie do you want me to watch? <laughs> That's what I'm asking. <laughs> Outside, Larry watches as the car pulls up and Officer Rhodes, played by Ray Liotta, steps out. Ray Liotta. Mm. Always and forever. I um, forget, honestly, how good of an actor he is. Oh, man, he's fantastic. He is. Yeah. Everything you see him and you're like, this fucking guy. Just fucking kills it. Oh, yeah. yeah. But he asks if Larry is the manager and once Larry confirms that he is... Rhodes introduces himself, presenting his badge. He explains that he's transporting a prisoner, and while the law does give Larry the right to refuse them service, the roads are flooded and they really do need a room. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why him acknowledging that made me trust him a little. Well, because well, he's like, I know yeah. I have like an inmate. This is a lot. You uh -huh. know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, you appreciate yeah, yeah. that. But he's like, but but please. But seriously, yeah. <laughs> we're stuck. <laughs> we got nowhere else to go. 
Ed walks up to them and asks if there's a radio in Rhodes's car. He says that there's a woman that's banged up after an accident and she needs an ambulance. We cut to Rhodes sitting in the car requesting medical assistance, but he says that there's no response. It's been that way for the past hour. Ed asks if he has a first aid kit, but all Rhodes has is band-aids. <laughs> he just got a car full of band-aids? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of weird, right? I mean, I don't know. I would think that in a police car... Yeah, there would be they, something, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm sure there is. Even a bandage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, I do not know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he asks Larry if he's got a needle and thread somewhere, and Larry says they might have that in the diner. When Ed starts that way, Larry volunteers to go look for himself because it's all locked up. I did want to say that that at that point kind of pissed me off a little bit. Yeah. You got a whole ass diner on the property and you're like, hey, there's some vending machines around the corner. Well, yeah, yeah. He's a Even piece worse. Of shit. Yeah. yeah. It's like, get some Cheetos for dinner or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking rude. As Larry leaves, he calls out to Rhodes that he'll put them in room 10 and he'll come back to get their key. Ed asks who Rhodes has in the back of the car and Rhodes says that it's a prison transfer. Ed asks that once Rhodes gets the inmate situated, he could come and take a look at Alice and give him a second opinion. It's just occurring to me. I wonder if anyone thought that maybe Malcolm Rivers was in the back of that car. Huh. Because it is a a a Tristan (laughs) Pransport. He did say that. Yeah, that is true. You know what? Honestly, that is something to consider. And the fact that what we see in a second, it kind of... There are points in this film where you're just flat out confused. Yeah. Right, right. And I think that that probably was meant to be one of them. But yeah. it all pays off. It like does. 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 You've got to give it to it. It does. But there there are, if you've never seen this film before, I guarantee moments where you're like, okay, I just For don't. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Oh, flat no, out, yeah. How is this related? What the fuck is happening? Yeah. yeah. But Rhodes agrees and gets back into his car. The tank is on empty. And from the back seat, the inmate, Robert Maine, played by Jake Busey, <laughs> tells Rhodes that it looks like he's fucked. He looks just like Gary Busey. He does. Yeah. <laughs> like he, fucking dude just like I, him. I was going to say, this guy from The Offspring doing here. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, he does. Yeah, he looks just like him. That's true. That's fucking hilarious. I will never unsee that. Yeah, I couldn't either when I, <laughs> I first see The Offspring. No. Like in part one, yeah, yeah. what they look like. And You're I was like, like Holy what shit. the fuck? Jake Busey's the lead singer? <laughs> I was. I That's was hilarious. I was just gonna say he gives the stare only a Busey can. Yeah. Yes. But I guess also Dexter Holland. Can yeah. <laughs> the same stare. So it's fuck. still a very select club, yeah, right? Just the three of them. <laughs> but he tells Rhodes that it looks like he's fucked. Stressed, Rhodes only tells him to shut up. Back in room four, Larry watches as Ed uses the sewing kit to stitch up Alice's neck. Larry laments not having beige thread because that would look better, but Ed assures him that the black thread is fine. Yeah, I don't think that matters. No. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, that's ugly. Yeah. <laughs> Larry leaves to get Rhodes and Maine situated in their room, and Ed finishes his work. George stands over him and asks where he learned to do that. Ed answers honestly, pretty much where you're standing. George sits on the bed next to his wife and Ed looks over at Timmy. He asks George if Timmy will be all right because he hasn't said a word since the accident. George says that Timmy just really doesn't talk much at all. He explains that he's Timmy's stepfather and that two years ago his biological father left them and he had something of a temper problem, which is incredibly sad. Mm -hmm. Timmy stares out the window as Rhodes walks Maine through the rain. Maine smiles menacingly at Timmy. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like you come out and play. 
<laughs> like you did not have to do all that. No, he didn't. Larry leads Rhodes and Maine into room 10. Once inside, he tells Rhodes that the furniture is shit, but that if he needs to cuff Maine to something, the toilet is bolted down. Maine sarcastically thanks him, but Rhodes says that that's a good idea. He cuffs Maine to the toilet, and when Maine sings Johnny Cash mockingly at him, Rhodes backhands him. Like nothing happened, he closes the door to the bathroom and says that he'll go take a look at Alice. I did want to call out with him singing Johnny Cash. Yeah. James Mangold, two years later, directed Walk the Line. Oh, shit. Oh, that's All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know if that was a little... Very cool. Yeah. In room four, when Rhodes arrives, Ed asks if he was able to get through on his radio. Rhodes says no. He inspects Alice, complimenting Ed's job on the stitches. And he says that her pulse is steady and all they can do right now is keep her comfortable. Ed proposes that they take turns on Rhodes' radio, but Rhodes is like, no, I can manage. Was that weird? Yeah. It was rude. Okay. But I mean, like with some cops, like, and you see it when you read like true crime stories and stuff, they're very like territorial and like, I got this, I can handle it. That's why like a lot of cases don't get solved because they don't share with other cops. Mm-hmm. So like, I can kind of see where he's like, I don't need somebody else helping me. Like I can check a radio by myself. Yeah, but I would, I would think that if he's at least in charge and he's ed you know you see that ed's there yeah, taking trying charge. to yeah. tell help it's like okay then i need to cooperate with him or uh-huh. they seem to respond well to him let me help yeah. i'm also an authority figure or whatever but yeah i thought that was really weird when he's like no i'll do it yeah he's like man fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly it's only helping you because then it means you don't have to be out there yeah for the whole time yep Get some sleep. I'll check the radio. Yeah. From three to five. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then we switch off. Yeah. Outside, Paris tries to pull food out of the vending machine when she notices Rhodes standing behind her staring. She asks if he's going to arrest her. And he asks how she knew that he was a cop. She points to the vehicle that he drove up in with the corrections emblem on the side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> it's a little worrisome, man. He tells her that it doesn't seem right to have Cheetos for dinner, and she asks if he's got a better idea. Doritos. Right? (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) He says that he worked mess in the service and that maybe he can whip something up at the diner. She just asks if he has change for a dollar, and he checks his pockets while continuing to stare at her. (laughs) He gives her the change, and she places it in the machine. He asks her name, and she tells him that it's Paris. He takes chips out of the machine for her and remarks that he's never been to Paris. She snatches the chips from him, assuring him that he isn't going tonight and walks away. I loved yeah, this moment very good. much. I was like, damn, is he really hitting on this Thank lady? You. you just I left mean, the room. A woman is hurt. Yeah. You've got an inmate. Shit, yeah, to just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The roads are flooded. That's. That's what's going on. It kind of and the <laughs> complete lack of professionalism. Yeah. <laughs> so I got my inmate bolted. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> it's like bolted. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, something about the toilet. I heard <laughs> this. This is a biblical proportions flood. Uh, I, you oh. never. I mean, you never know what's gonna happen. <laughs> Not that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you that much. I will say they they mentioned it on commentary about how a lot of this film. I know I mentioned like mystery and Hitchcock. Right, right. But a lot of it is kind of shot like almost like noir. Okay. And I feel like that's very interesting because that kind of helps lean into the crime of the film. Yeah. Because there's, I mean, there's honestly a lot going on in this film because there's like slasher elements. Yes, there is. Like there's a ton of, and fucking um, Kathy Conrad produced, I think, the Scream films. 
get the fuck out of here. So that might have been yeah. why she was like, this whodunit shit is really yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do more yeah. of that. Nice. But yeah, I like Paris. There is a deleted scene when Jenny and Lou get to their room mm-hmm. and she's basically telling him he has to stare at the to stare at the couch. He has <laughs> to sleep on the couch because he was staring, as she says, at the hooker's tits. And he's like, I wasn't staring at the hooker's tits. And then somebody knocks on the door and it's Paris. And oh, she's wow. like, the walls are super thin. So if you can maybe like stop saying that. And also, Lou, yes, you were. And then she walks <laughs> off. And like, it's funny, but I don't like I don't like her saying that. Yeah. She's, it, she says it in a way that's like, you know, you like, you know. Yeah, that's it true. It seems like this, it was a little. T- yeah. You know. This yeah. woman is just trying to fucking get by, dude. Like she's on a mission that we find out later. <laughs> yeah, she's not yeah. worried about fucking Lou. She's not no, worried yeah. about Rhodes. I'm sorry I'm laughing, but it's because I watched two deleted scenes in a row, right? Yeah. And the first one was that one where they yeah. were like, you're staring at her tits. Yeah. 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 And then the second one was um, Rhodes and Larry and uh, Busey. What's his name? Maine. Maine. Uh, walking to their room and they pass Caroline's room. Right. Thing is, is that she switched rooms. Yeah, which, which does doesn't not, come yeah. up later. Yeah. But it's kind of important because the number on the door is different from the one that they gave. Yeah. And so it kind of explains that. But as soon as they open the door, because it's supposed to be their room, because I think they're in room 10, Maine looks at her and he just goes, nice tits. And I'm like, yeah. is every deleted scene about, about this? <laughs> yeah. Like, what is going okay. on? And then, and then there's yeah. another the one fuck? where they're searching the hotel and they just find Paris sitting on the toilet. Yeah. Oh, I'm like, I, none I, of this was I needed. I almost thought you were going to say they find a pair of tits. Just sitting on the floor. So strange. And it was so funny because they had that where they find her on the toilet and it's Larry and Ed. And she's like, I better hear beeping noises when you back the fuck out of here. And James Mangold, he goes, now I loved that joke. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, but it did. We didn't need it. I was like, you loved it? (laughs) It's a strong word. (laughs) That's a lot. Aggressively early (laughs) 2000s joke. Remember when uh, June said that and walked the line? Oh. I'm just kidding. kidding. Did you say it in a Luann Platter (laughs) accent? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's like we are working that joke in somewhere yeah, we gotta figure it out. <laughs> i'm not ending my career without right but yeah i love this this moment for paris with yeah. i just liked it plus i was almost named paris that is true fun fact but anyway in room four timmy sleeps on the couch george sits next to alice pleading with her to be strong because both he and timmy need her Ed closes the door this is when i started to get confused but then i realized this is one of those places where all the rooms are like a, like joined yeah. with mm-hmm. the door in between them because I was like there's two bedrooms <laughs> I was really confused <laughs> but Ed is in three they're in four so mm-hmm. he just goes through the door to his room he takes a pill holder out of his jacket and opens the slots for two days he yeah. dumps them into his hand and swallows them in the office Larry rummages around in the dark he takes a stack of letters and the framed photo of the man with the fish and hides them away in a drawer interesting mm-hmm he doesn't know it's already been seen. Seen, yeah. yeah. In Paris's room, room seven, she opens a box full of cash in her suitcase before closing it back up. Now, her room is joined with Jenny and Lou in six. In six, Lou is laying on the couch watching Paris's shadow under the door. Is everybody hiding something here? Yeah. Or is it like what? Everybody's got a secret. Yeah. yeah. Jenny calls over to him from the bed and he ignores her. So this like makes sense in that deleted scene where she's like, no, I'm mad at you. You're sleeping on the couch. 
But without that scene, it really makes Lou look a lot worse. Yeah, that she's like come to bed, and he's like, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch the, her shadow." Yeah, you know what I mean, like, but like, I think that. What are you getting out of that? I don't know. <laughs> Just uh, like knowing she's in the next room is fucking creepy. Uh, but yeah. like, Weird. I feel like it serves. I think the story better without that fight. Without yeah, the fight. Yeah. Without Jenny kind of putting her foot down. And like this dude is such a fucking asshole that he's like pretending to be asleep. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to go to bed with her. Like I I like that better. Oh yeah. And it kind of makes Ginny look like a jerk if she's calling Paris that as yes. well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So to have yeah. her never say that, that's good. Yeah. Uh one but, thing like, she clearly saw that he is like checking her out and yeah, being disrespectful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't like either that no. she said that. One thing I will say is that as they were doing this montage of everybody having like something to hide, yes. yeah. it made me think of that uh, part in The Hateful Eight where he's like, that's why this chapter is called Dahmer Goose. <laughs> <laughs> Got a secret. It's like everybody's got <laughs> fucking secret. Like, I don't know. It's funny to me because it only like leads to like more and more yeah. uh, twists. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> this film doesn't just have the one. Oh, no, yeah. No. Not at all. In room 10... Maine tries to break the pipe that he's cuffed to so he can free himself. It's funny that you mention it that way because this is like a montage shot and everybody yeah. is like doing it. <laughs> <laughs> like, holy and shit. Yeah. So <laughs> I was watching I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm afraid of everyone. Yeah. You can't trust. And that's the thing. Yes. Yeah. They don't yeah. want you to trust anyone. <laughs> but Rhodes sits pondering before standing up. There is a hole with a huge blood stain on the back of his shirt. It's only visible for a moment before he hides it again with his suit jacket. He steps out into the rain, closing the door behind him. It was at that point that I was like, oh, so Rhodes is a goddamn ghost. (laughs) (laughs) You want to know? I remember I was like, what if like he got shot? And he survived and he wasn't supposed to. And that's just like his lucky shirt that he wears. I've made a whole backstory. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't wash it? No. His lucky. He got shot while wearing it. But he lived. But he got shot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm never wearing that fucking shirt again, dude. No, it's one of those. If if the bullet was a centimeter to the left, you would be paralyzed. Uh Uh-huh. But he survived, so it I, is lucky. I get it, but maybe hang it up somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, probably the luckier shirts are the shirts you, you didn't don't. Get shot in. Yeah. <laughs> I would say so if we're if we're judging, yeah, comparing shirts. Yes. Or a lucky shirt would be the shirt you know deflecting the bullet. A, and a it just bulletproof shirt. shirt. Got yeah, it, got it. But got it. wear that. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um. I figured now would be a good point to talk about the motel itself. Yeah. They had a choice of either filming on location or filming at a soundstage. Mm-hmm. You'll notice a lot of those scenes that were shot previously on the road. Right. Those were on location. Okay. But there are also some shots of the motel that are shot on location and they built like a facade of the front. All right. And so the way to tell is if you see things past uh, whoever is facing the street, you see parts of the street, it's on location. No, okay. If you just see black, it's the soundstage. All right. So it kind of right. helps you. Because yeah. there are some moments, like whenever they first arrive at the motel and then Ed is talking to Larry, where yeah. Ed's shots are on location, Larry's shots are on the set. That's that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you're going back and forth, you don't even realize it. No, hell no. Super seamless. But I, the motel itself that was de- that was built on the set was built by the production designer. His name's Mark Friedberg. He did okay. He did Joker. 
Oh. What? He did Across the Universe. Oh. Okay. And he did Synecdoche, New York. God damn. So this dude's pretty good. Yeah. But he built a 14-room motel on this set. So it's an entire <laughs> yeah. motel. That is so cool. <laughs> and they use pretty much all of it. Yeah. And they said that the set itself was about the size of a football field. Damn. And this set was also where the Emerald City from the Wizard of Oz was built. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was very, very cool nice. for, I guess, Mangold's a big fan. Yeah. But they also, and I meant to mention this earlier with the rain sprinklers, they built a system to collect and recycle all the water they use. Oh, very good. shit. All right. Very good. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was very cool. Because it's a lot of water. It's a yeah. lot of water. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. In Carolyn's room, she monologues to herself in the mirror as she takes a shot practicing telling her agent that she can't work under these current working conditions. Her cell phone beeps and she takes it off of its giant charger. <laughs> she steps outside her room, checking for a signal before going back into the bathroom and ripping down the shower curtain. Holding it over herself, she wanders around the property, finally getting one bar, then two. She follows the signal further out of sight and she tries to make a call but is dismayed when it doesn't go through. She's distracted though when she hears creaking. It's an old forgotten sign and she focuses back on her phone. Suddenly, someone advances on her and she screams. The clear shower curtain now red with blood. Okay, so just a couple things here. Mm -hmm. uh, firstly, it was kind of funny to me thinking about how reception used to be, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, cause holy <laughs> shit. She's chasing it. That's yeah. awful. <laughs> it, it was bad. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can speak from experience. Yeah. Um, I do want to say that with, obviously, people coming out of the rain to stop at a motel, obvious psycho references. Right. Yeah. And now we have a bloody curtain from the shower. Oh, very yeah. good. So I was like, all right. I uh, th Again, here she's not holding the phone under the curtain she's not it's just out in the water yeah of course it doesn't work it's wet <laughs> you broke it you yeah, it. yeah. It's, it's no good you're lucky you have one bar yeah i like i like listening to music when i'm in the shower uh -huh. so i'll take my phone with me and because of the pop socket on the back i can kind of post it up kind of up where there's like a little bar for the towel uh-huh so I was like, all right. So, but it's able to get wet. It's yeah. not going to hurt the phone. I'm not taking my old Motorola <laughs> flip phone in there so I can listen to the ringtones while I'm. Uh, nah, <laughs> that's not happening. No, no, no. We do the best we got with yeah. what we got. Mm -hmm. But in room three, Ed is laying in bed and disturbed at the sound of clanging. He heads outside and looks out into the rain, but doesn't see a source of the sound. He picks up a hook from Carolyn's shower curtain dropped in the parking lot. He looks around and finds another one, the hooks leading the way to the route that she had taken. He finally sees the source of the sound, a gate clanging in the wind of the storm. So I do want to talk about the hooks of the shower curtain because in that deleted scene, they go into her room and they kind of put a focus on those. Okay. Yeah. But whenever they don't have that, I thought that was a bracelet of hers. Yeah. And so it's nice to know that wasn't right. It's a <laughs> shower curtain. Yeah. All right. <laughs> But he continues further, drawn by a sound coming from the laundry room. He tries the door, but it's locked. So he walks around the side of the building to a side door, which is ajar. <laughs> it sounded like you said the door was ajar. Yeah, yeah, I was waiting on it. I was waiting on it. He steps inside and sees two dryers rumbling as the clothes spin inside. He opens the door on one of them and the clothes slow to a stop. 
He opens the door on the second one and the same thing happens. But now that both dryers are stopped, he still hears the loud banging. I was like, man, whoever's drying those clothes is going to be like, fucking thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's none of your fucking business. Yeah. <laughs> he notices another one and sees a boot inside. It finishes its cycle and slows to a stop and Ed slowly approaches the machine. He opens it and finds Carolyn's outfit stained with blood. He moves her shirt and reveals her severed head. He is shocked, but turns when he hears a noise in the distance. <laughs> you say shocked. Yeah. But he, I mean, he, his face <laughs> doesn't really change. <laughs> and he just goes, holy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't feel like it would be larger than that. A li- <laughs> just a little. This is just slightly. It's the severed head <laughs> of the woman you were traveling with. Yeah. yeah. Kind of He's a big like, deal. Well, I'll be damned. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking hate it when this happens. He reacted like he found his car keys in there. It's like, holy fuck, of course. I threw him in the fucking, yeah. They had said on commentary, they were like, well, you know, we wanted him to play this more subdued so he had more places to go later. But I'm like, this seems like... (laughs) Maybe we could go some of those places now. And I did love, I I do want to say I love um, the suspense of this entire sequence. Yes. Oh, yeah. It is funny to me that it kind of starts with him waking up like, hey, you know, I haven't had abuse hurled at me for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go check on Carolyn. <laughs> but I think that the entire pacing of him, like retracing her steps. Yeah. It's very well done. Creeping into the laundry room. Fantastic. Yeah. But Ed watches as a shadow slowly creeps up toward the door. But luckily, it's only Larry, armed with a baseball bat and closely followed by Rhodes. They come up to inspect the contents of the dryer. And when Rhodes asks who it is, Ed tells him that it's the woman he was driving in the limo. Rhodes reaches into the dryer, explaining that there's something inside. But Ed stops him and gets him to use a dryer sheet instead of his bare hand. That was the uh, red flag. Yeah. Watching this interaction, Larry asks Ed if he is a cop, and Ed says that he was a cop. This was funny to me because I am not a cop, and I know that you probably shouldn't be touching evidence yeah. with your bare hands. With your bare hands. Where he's like, whoa, 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 dude, are you a cop? <laughs> it's like, well, excuse me. And uh, one thing I will say is that I didn't remember this. I, I told your sister, I was like, I did not remember him saying that. Oh, and yeah. And then watching the movie, I was like, that makes sense because he's, he corrects him. Yes. Yeah, he does. And it's like, okay, now I was just like, man, why is he doing your job better than exactly. you? Exactly. And then it's like, and then watching it, I was like, oh, I was like, all right, all right. I was like, now this. I was like, like, very I good. Yeah. yeah. I think that's one of the things, like, especially with films with a twist, why a rewatch is so important. Yeah. Because yes. you pick up on all these things, you're like, they were cluing us in on everything yeah yeah and that's a big one but whenever you're watching it, you're like oh he was just re- whatever you yeah know. yeah uh ed's just really particular <laughs> <laughs> but Rhodes reaches into the dryer and using the dryer sheet picks up a key for room 10 ed asks if that was the room that carolyn was staying in but Rhodes says that that's his room they stare at each other as the storm rages behind them and ed asks where maine is Rhodes says that he's cuffed to a toilet in the room. We cut to them bursting into room 10, Rhodes with his weapon drawn. They let themselves into the bathroom where the pipe is broken. Water (laughs) leaks onto the floor and Maine is completely gone with the window open. But we cut to the hearing where a storm also rages outside. 
Clearly annoyed, Judge Taylor, played by Holmes Osborne, arrives. He takes his seat at the head of the table, and the rest of the men, the DA, the ADA, Dr. Malik, a defense attorney, played by Carmen Argenziano, and Detective Varole, played by Frederick Coffin, all stand in respect. You said Carmen Argenziano. Yes. And that name sounds so fucking familiar. I was going to scroll through their filmography to see what we've seen them in. And there are 232 things. Damn. Uh, so we don't have time for no, that. No, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> so just rest assured. Yeah. We've covered something with him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and John Paul was just saying that even if you can't immediately identify where the actors are from, you recognize like everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Even at this hearing, it's it's the cast is bananas. Mm hmm. Judge Taylor begins to speak, but the defense attorney interjects, asking that they wait until Malcolm arrives because he has the right to be present. Judge Taylor reminds him that Malcolm has precious few rights since he is 24 hours away from his execution. And speaking of fucking people and other things, the judge was, wasn't he Donnie Darko's dad? You're right. In the film Donnie Darko? Right. <laughs> Donald Darko Sr. Darko, yes. yes. <laughs> I believe was his film credit. The defense attorney argues, though, that the point of the hearing is to talk about Malcolm's mental state. But Judge Taylor asserts that he doesn't have time for bullshit. He is clearly upset, detailing that the justices have called him here in the middle of the night to talk about a case that he has already sat on and decided. And that pisses him off. It's like so much for an impartial judge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in all fairness, we're all here, Your Honor. You're yeah. right. We're all yeah. here right now working. Yeah. You're right. You think this is where we want to be, but we want a fair trial. Yeah. Yeah. If that evidence was suppressed, don't then you want to know about this? Yeah. You should be more pissed off yes. about, yes. about yeah. that instead yeah. of the fucking... Yeah, how is it my fault? He's like, I, I already said to kill that man. Yeah. <laughs> Why am I what getting woken fuck? up in the middle of the night? You're depriving but me he... <laughs> one night's sleep. <laughs> <laughs> For this man's like life or whatever, whatever. Yeah, good Lord. But he declares that they can do whatever they want with Malcolm when he gets here, but tells the attorney to, in the name of decency, state his goddamn case. The defense attorney finally agrees and Judge Taylor demands that someone bring him a black coffee. Watching this, I'm like, can you imagine being the type of human to tell a room full of people, someone get me a coffee black and expect it. and somebody will scramble away and go do it? Like, I could never. <laughs> no, That's disgusting. That's a level of ego that I hope so shitty to never No, But anyway, back at the motel, all of the guests are gathered in room three. Ed stops their chattering to tell them that there's been an incident. Carolyn Suzanne has been murdered. This stirs up more chatter, including Paris, who asks, who's Carolyn Suzanne? <laughs> Ed says that she was the actress that he was driving. And George nervously asks where this happened. Ed truthfully says that they don't know because they haven't found the body. Larry chimes in. Not all of it, anyway. Everything out of Larry's mouth in no. the seat yes. <laughs> is out of pocket. Wow, dude. Just a little bit. <laughs> Please. And can I just point out, they're just letting this kid hear everything. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, oh, you, you don't need to be doing that. <laughs> But thanks to Larry, this just raises further questions, and Ed tells them that they all need to remain calm. He says that Rhodes was transporting a convict, and once again, Larry pipes up, who escaped? <laughs> <laughs> You're not helping. Once again, everyone is sent into a frenzy, but Paris shouts over them to just shut up so that Ed can talk. Larry reminds her that this is his place, and he'll do as he pleases, and he throws in a hoe for good measure. Did she like dump him or something? Because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is really personal. It is. Yeah. 
Just say you hate women. Jenny tells Lou that it's not safe to stay here, but Lou assures her that there's a cop here. Larry's like, yeah, two cops. (laughs) (laughs) Looking at Ed. (laughs) Paris is astounded by this and asks Ed if he's a cop, to which he again replies that he was one and asks Larry to shut up. Jenny is fed up, asserting that she is not staying here and heads out the front door only to immediately run into Rhodes, who reports that he's found nothing outside. Jenny collapses into sobs and Lou poorly tries to console her. (laughs) Ed checks his gun and heads outside with Rhodes, telling Lou to put his arm around his girlfriend. Lou just angrily snaps back that she's his wife. And it's like, oh, so you're a shitty husband, not a shitty boyfriend. Let's make that clear. Yeah, Yeah, got it. Ed starts to head out with Rhodes, telling everyone to stay put in this room. Paris starts to leave, though, refusing to stay here if Larry is going to be here. I don't fucking blame her. (laughs) Understanding, Ed tells Larry to come with them. He'll be an asset because he knows the place. But Larry isn't trying to hear it, telling Rhodes that he is not a cop and then calling Paris a slut, I guess, just because. Are you as confused as that? Yeah, because... (laughs) I think, and the other thing that kind of bothers me is that nobody's really stepping in when he's doing no. this. Uh, yeah. Like that, I would, I'd be like, Larry, shut the fuck, go to, go to the office. Yeah. yeah. Go not, to the fucking office. Not only that, I, I mean, she, she's got jeans and like a sweater on. What do you, I don't understand. She's what, got a skirt and, and, I a, and a jacket. Yeah. Do I, <laughs> it was like, how like, do you I'm, look at, I mean, he's just, he's I mean, he's I trash. just don't, yeah. It's like, why are you, I, I guess you're right. Like maybe she did dump him. <laughs> like, I don't, well, I, it was the way that she got out of the car. It was like he already recognized her. Yeah. He's like, I dated a girl named Paris in high school. Oh, like, no, no, no. This is very well, weird. Or in all honesty, a girl named Paris would never date me. Right. And that's why I'm that's angry. That's why I'm mad. Oh, yeah. um, but you'll see in a minute, too, that this this shit runs deep. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But he storms off and Ed pleads with Paris to just stay here and keep everyone calm. She stays put and Rhodes and Ed venture off into the rain. They check locked doors as they pass them. And Rhodes says that Maine won't be able to get far in the storm. It made me laugh that like the locked doors meant that the rooms were safe. But like he could be hiding in there. <laughs> yeah. and just have the door locked. <laughs> but anyway, Ed stops him to ask exactly what they're chasing. Rhodes tells him flat out multiple homicide. Ed decides to split up to cover more ground with the property and heads away from Rhodes. Never split up. Always a bad idea. It did make me laugh, though, that Rhodes says he couldn't get far. And it's like, you just feel guilty because he got away. Yeah. It's like, the storm's <laughs> back. Don't, he's not going anywhere. It'll be fine. It's got boundaries like a video game. He can't, <laughs> he can't get out. Don't worry. He'll just run in place once he gets to the end. It'll it's respawn fine. him back over yeah. there. <laughs> I don't want to go that way. <laughs> <laughs> Back in room three, Jenny continues to sob, but Lou sits completely across the room from her. His attention is on Paris, who fiddles with her lighter, and he asks her if she lives in Las Vegas full time. She says that she used to. He's like, well, what's that supposed to mean? That means that she doesn't. (laughs) She says it means I don't live there anymore. Good Lord. It did make me laugh because the fucking the last thing that Ed said to him was put your arm around her. Yeah. No, and she's him being across the she's room. She's yeah. actively <laughs> sobbing over yeah. there. Like she's having a complete and breakdown. He's like, and he's so like, so Vegas, huh? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of what kind of weird shit you get into in Vegas? Anybody want to be a birthday cake or anything? <laughs> a southern birthday cake? <laughs> <laughs> But 
outside still split up, Ed and Rhodes search the grounds and call out for Maine. Back in the room, after an apparent unsuccessful attempt at trying to use the restroom elsewhere, George brings Timmy in and takes him to the bathroom. He promises to stand guard outside the door and that there's nothing to worry about. I'm sorry, but they're okay. They're in when this happens, Lou like looks at him. Yes. Like he's fucking insane. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, dude, little man's gotta take a shit. I don't know yeah. what you want. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to do. I'm taking a child to the bathroom. No yeah. shit. But yeah, Timmy closes the bathroom door and Lou like looks at George like, what the fuck? Yeah. And George explains that Timmy's mother is usually the one that does this. Paris looks sympathetic and looks down as Larry passes the window behind her. But yeah, I did not understand why Lou was yeah. so confused. He's like, at- dude, what the yeah. fuck? <laughs> it's like he has to use the bathroom. I don't know what you yeah. want. <laughs> what is this? We cut to Larry sneaking into Carolyn's room. He closes the door behind him and begins rifling through her bag. Back in room three, Paris asks Jenny how long she and Lou have been married. Jenny doesn't answer, but Lou says about nine hours. It was a spur of the moment decision in Las Vegas. Jenny suddenly jumps to her feet and says that they need to leave. Lou goes, Jesus, I was just talking to him. <laughs> just a guilty, guilty man. Yeah. You fucking pig. Like, I can't even believe this, dude. <laughs> but Jenny insists that something is happening and she needs to get out of here. She rushes to the door and runs out into the rain. Lou runs behind her as she crosses the parking lot to their room. She tells Lou that he doesn't own her, but he says that he owns half of what's inside her. She says again that he doesn't own any part of her or her baby. And he's like, well, why the hell did I marry you then? God damn. (laughs) This guy's a real cat. I was like, wow. (laughs) But Jenny, Jenny responds to this by slamming the door in his face. Paris steps out into the parking lot, asking them to just calm down. She calls out to them, standing right outside the window of room eight, where Larry is helping himself to the contents of Carolyn Suzanne's wallet. So I did want to make mention, I don't know if you had mentioned it, earlier whenever Rhodes is doing his little search where he passes that thing that says the tribal tombs on it. Right. Um, I don't understand why they keep trying to make this a part of the film. It's it, it's uh, subtle and then it's yeah. flat out stated in a little bit and then it's yeah. just like, nah, that ain't it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like weird tropey and cliche yeah. it and it amounts to nothing. Unless yeah, it's, I, it's, it's just like a red herring or like to make us think that that's going to be what it is Maybe. and then it's not like it's supernatural or, right or, i don't know, I don't know yeah. but yeah I, I didn't yeah it was it was a strange choice but in room six jenny starts to pack her bag lou tells her that there's nowhere for them to go in the storm so they're not leaving he snatches the bag away from jenny when she won't stop packing and she suddenly and tearfully confesses that she is not pregnant he stares at her in disbelief and she repeats herself she's not pregnant she lied He says that he saw the test, but she just looks at him. He's like, why would you do that to me? (laughs) Which is like, it is very sad. And that is a horrible fucked up thing to do. Mm -hmm. But just to immediately turn from, I was just fucking talking to her. (laughs) Like being the victim (laughs) was kind of funny. It's a big switch. But in response to why she would do this, Jenny says, locking herself in the bathroom, that her friend Allison saw him at a bar with another girl. Salacious. Yes. We love the tea. (laughs) She locks the door and sobs, yelling at Lou to go away when he bangs on the door. And in response, he starts to kick it in. In the parking lot, Ed finds an RV. I'm assuming this is Larry's. Yeah, I thought so as well. 
He lets himself inside and sees multiple porn magazines, but stops on a picture of one woman. Her eyes have been scratched out in the photo, and the word slut is written across the page. So it is Larry. It is Larry. It's Larry. But it was just, um, it was just porn and peanuts in there. Porn yeah. and peanuts. I mean, what else do you need? But <laughs> I don't know. this is a lot. I mean, the, the misogyny runs deep, clearly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, incredibly disturbing. If I found this in somebody's stuff i would be fucking horrified like yeah. oh yeah you did that for you like mm-hmm. this was this is private that's yeah. very scary that was how he was passing the time in there right yeah <laughs> so you've killed carolyn clearly yeah no you know. that's exactly what i would think but back in room six lou tries to reason with jenny he says that he hasn't been to that bar in over a year and that allison just enjoys fucking with jenny's head what he says is yeah. allison is a stupid bitch whore which as a kid i was like well that's violent in yeah. there i don't know well, that was like the funniest thing i well, ever the heard. thing is is that the camera dips around him yeah. yeah and so it makes it like what he's saying is very important yeah. but, but that's what we get yeah it <laughs> does but he's just being an asshole <laughs> he continues to hit the door yelling at Ginny to open it when she tells him she's not going to until he calms down he assures her that he is calm he is very fucking calm I'm not feeling like, I totally believe you yeah. <laughs> suddenly Lou goes very silent and Ginny hears someone else enter the room Lou is like oh it's you <laughs> <laughs> what are you so happy about <laughs> oh I see. Yeah. <laughs> I literally, that was the exact. Because that's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> no, but he, he really is like, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Jenny calls his name concerned, but there's nothing but silence on the other side of the door. When Jenny places her ear against it, Lou begins pounding on it again, begging Jenny to open the door. There is an urgency that he did not have before. No. But I can see how she would kind of regress to, I mean, clearly this is an abusive situation. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Jenny sits down on the toilet lid and sobs, asking Lou to just stop. Lou continues to yell at her to open the door, but the rattling lessens and then finally completely stops. It sounded like a pig fainting. <laughs> but i did want to point out i i do like you making that distinction because there is that nuance in the performance there is there there's a huge difference between open the fucking door and open the fucking door yeah and And you hear it yeah there is but why didn't he like there's somebody here yeah well i guess the oh it's you yeah (laughs) should have should have clued her in but i guess she wasn't (laughs) paying attention to that she's got a lot going Uh, on only we heard that yeah (laughs) that was just for us But in the RV, Ed finds a table with multiple knives and holders. The holder on top, though, is suspiciously empty. In the bathroom of room six, Jenny slowly approaches the door and calls out to Lou. When he doesn't answer, she cautiously unlocks the door and opens it. She steps into the main room and the door is still locked. The the room door. Yeah. But she doesn't see Lou. The shadow of a person wielding a weapon, possibly a knife, advances on Jenny. She screams for help and tries to lock herself back in the bathroom, but the assailant grabs the knob. She finally wins the struggle, successfully locking herself inside. She runs to the window, screaming for help as she jumps out. So one cool thing that Mangold talked about Mm -hmm. is when you think, because these are very slashery moments, yeah, right? Uh, the interesting thing about it is that typically in a slasher film, you see the slasher doing this. Yeah. But in this film, you can't see anything because there's that whodunit element. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There is no costume or man in a mask or anything. So is this giallo-y? 
No. Okay, moving yeah, no. on. <laughs> you made me you think tried, about it for yeah. a second. It would be if I think the detective element needs to be there more. All right. Well, the we'll, colors, huh? But yeah, we, the colors yeah, as well. Yeah, but we got two I cubs. missed the colors. We, yeah, but not really. <laughs> 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 but um, they did say that the shadow was James Mangold's shadow. Oh, All that's right. cool. So it's like not giving anything away. Yeah. Like, hey, that shadow looked like John Cusack or anything. Yeah. No, it didn't. Um, yeah. And whoever attacked Carolyn in the night, you don't see shit. No, right. not at all. A POV shot. Well, a POV shot is a little, well, maybe we'll it's, talk. Uh, it's a geologist. Uh, well, it's not. It's yeah. not. <laughs> but um, no, I just think that it's very interesting how they do it because they do keep that mystery throughout and it's not really anything that's a dead giveaway no. necessarily. Right. But then, of course, when it is given away, it all makes perfect sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But Jenny jumps out the window and immediately runs into Rhodes, who asks if Maine is in her room. He takes off just as Paris approaches Jenny to comfort her, asking what happened. Ed joins Rhodes as he barges into room six. They find Lou dead. He is slumped into a corner, bleeding from a stab wound in his stomach. The wall next to him is smeared with blood. Jenny stays outside, calling out to Lou as Paris approaches the door. Ed steps outside and looks down at Jenny. He doesn't need to say a word to get the point across, and Jenny collapses into sobs. In the field behind the motel, <laughs> Maine is fucking knees to chest. Yeah. <laughs> he runs, slipping on the muddy ground, and stares at, I guess, another hotel in the distance, presumably? It, well, it, yeah, it looks like yeah. a different location. I just thought his method of escape was ridiculous because he's like, no, I won't try to steal a car. I'll take the, <laughs> the muddiest route <laughs> to the most clearly haunted building. <laughs> no, no, that's the ticket. I'll get out. Like, it's like, what? It's genius. Come on, man. We cut to him punching a hole in the window to let himself into a diner. He looks around, inspecting the motel that he has just run to, but sees that it looks exactly like the motel that he just ran from. He's in disbelief as he sees Ed out the window approaching the diner with a gun in his hand. This is kind of the first, for me, moment of unreality where you're like, okay, what the fuck? How? It's the Blair Witch. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For real. He turns to see that Rhodes is already inside, standing behind him. Rhodes punches him in the face and the two begin to fight, slamming each other around. (laughs) He's like, I bet you've never even seen your (laughs) own... But he fucking slugged that yeah, dude. Yeah, he <laughs> He's doing a little more than restraining him. He, yes, yes, that is true. But Ed rushes in and grabs Maine, and then they both just start whooping yeah. his monkey ass. <laughs> I was like, we're not even trying to like subdue him. Oh no. oh, no, no. It's like you had us running in the fucking rain. Yeah, no. They're just mad. <laughs> it got a bit personal. Yes. It did, very clearly. But the fight continues. We cut to room three where George stands in the doorway looking over at the diner and he reports that Rhodes and Ed have caught Maine. I don't know how I he knows yeah. this. <laughs> From where are you standing? It's like where his eyes rolled back and he's just like, <laughs> they've got him. It's like, what the fuck? He's a bird outside shit. the window. Yeah. It's raining like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's he's just hovering like a fucking hummingbird. Like, what the hell? They got him. They got him. <laughs> They're whooping his ass. <laughs> But Jenny begins to cry as Paris consoles her. Back in the diner, Ed ties an unconscious Maine to a post. Larry asks why they're keeping Maine here, but has no better response when Ed asks where he would prefer that they keep him. Paris walks in and Ed immediately chastises her, saying that he told her to stay in room three. She explains that Jenny and Lou got in a fight and ran out and she only left to try to get them to come back. Ed asks Rhodes if they should try the radio again, and Rhodes leaves to go do so. 
Ed follows Rhodes, instructing Larry to stay here and watch Maine. As Ed passes by Paris, he tells her to go back to room three and look after Jenny. Paris asks where he's going, and he implores her to just do what he's asking her. She leaves. Larry stops Ed and says that he's not comfortable with guard duty. Ed says that Maine <laughs> is passed out and tied to a post. He leaves, snagging some old school disposable cameras on his way out. In room four, Alice York still lies on the bed. She stirs in her sleep and finally wakes up. She looks over and sees Timmy standing next to Paris. She calls her son over and he takes her hand. I was confused for a second because both of their hands were very tiny. Like it looked like <laughs> Timmy's hand was already out, but then he places her. I rewatched this with Ari and she was like, why did they both have baby hands? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I do not know. What if like he was the only one on set and they're like, Hey, just hold, <laughs> hold your own hand. Nobody's going to notice. And you're DiCaprio at home. Yeah. <laughs> but George, seeing that Alice is awake, rushes over to her. She tells him that she doesn't remember anything. George walks past Paris in room three, who asks if he can keep an eye on Jenny. He tells her that Alice is awake. He goes into the bathroom cabinet to get her aspirin. He walks past Jenny, who lays in bed expressionless. George returns to his wife, and Paris tells Jenny that she's just got to get something out of her room. Larry watches as Paris runs across the parking lot before he returns to the diner. But inside the diner, he locks a freezer door shut and then rifles around frustrated. Awake now, Maine asks him what's wrong. He asks what's in the fridge, but Larry just tells him to shut up. <laughs> Maine continues to taunt him. He's like, what's in there? <laughs> like, Why is he like Pennywise? Yeah. He just keeps saying that. He promises Larry that he can tell him because he's good at keeping secrets. He's got a whopper himself. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> because I remember on Jennifer's body yeah. when someone described a lie as a whopper and you guys are like, that's fucking. And you're and I was like, no, it's fine. You're like, you're just in love with the obloquy. Doesn't matter. The <laughs> thing is, is that that is a phrase used to describe a lie. It, he just said a whopper. A whopper is a big, it's a big lie. Yeah. He's telling whoppers. No, he's telling a whopper of a lie. You're just lime green jello. That's, <laughs> that's fucking ridiculous. He didn't say a lie. He just said a whopper just like Amanda Seyfried. <laughs> okay, whopper now means lies. Don't Thank use you. lies anymore. They're all whoppers. Yes. Right? So we're getting Burger King? I know, I'm hungry. <laughs> no, we're not getting Shut Burger King. Shut the fuck no, up. No. <laughs> Fucking sloppy ass burger. Shut up. Burger peasant. The, bur <laughs> the Burger King disrespect. I've, I've had enough. But Paris returns to her room and makes a beeline for her closet where she has her cash stashed. She takes the money and turns to leave the room, but <laughs> walks right into Ed, which scares the shit out of her. Well, he's like a fucking phantom. He's in there. Yeah. What is he doing? <laughs> but she is in room seven and he was in room six. So again, it's like they have all these in-between doors open. And they're just walking freely <laughs> among the rooms. Yeah. But he's just like creeping down like. He is skulking. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't have knocked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or say, hey, I'm in here. Or yeah. Did he want to shock her? Probably. He asks what she's doing out of the room. And she says that she was just getting her stuff. When she asks what Ed is doing, he hesitates, then tells her that he's taking photos. In the last two hours, there have been two murders and he's trying to document the evidence. But Paris meant, what are you doing in a more global sense? He's a limo driver. He's not a cop anymore. There's a real cop here. 
Ed's like, oh, the cop that managed to lose a convicted murderer. I He's mean, like, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. Never mind. And who was going to fucking get his fingerprints on everything. Yeah. yeah. And who just whooped that dude's ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All Paris has left is to call Ed a complicated cat. She asks what month he was born, and he tells her May. She surmises that he's a Taurus, just like her, but he mm. can also be a Gemini, okay? We start at the end of May. I was going to say, at what point? Yeah. He never gave a date. Exactly. That made me mad, because I'm sick of the Gemini erasure that faces our society. <laughs> erasure? Uh, slander, erasure, either one. I'm not here for it. Could have been a Gemini. <laughs> Gemini's get like all the attention. We get bad attention. There's so do Tauruses. Like you're stubborn as fuck. Or no, whatever. but you're also loyal and you like comfort and you. Yeah, we're just like y'all no. are two faced bitches. That's all we get. Keep going on the Taurus <laughs> thing. <laughs> Felt nice. Anyway, <laughs> we cut to room six where Lou still sits dead in the corner and Ed takes photos of the room. Paris stands in the doorway interrogating him. Through her questions, Ed reveals that he was a cop in L.A. and stopped when he took medical leave because the job was making him sick. He burned out. Between snapping photos, he says that he got a call one day about a jumper. She was young, pregnant, had AIDS, and was addicted to drugs. He says that she was one of the doomed. He tried to get her to come off the ledge, and she asked him, que es la punta de vivir, which is not the same way that it was said at the beginning, but no, you not. know we're not counting that. Um, we're not but we are hearing it again which is interesting. interesting paris asks what he told her he says that he had been trained to tell her a lot of things but he hesitated for a second for that second he couldn't think of any reason to tell her to keep living she noted the hesitation spread her arms and jumped he says that after that he started getting headaches and then he even started blacking out that's when he took medical leave he continues taking photos of Lou, but something catches his eye. He reaches out with a piece of paper torn from a phone book and pulls a key out of Lou's clasped hands. Room nine. Ed gets up and walks to the door with the deceptive nine on it, but sees that this is really room six. <laughs> See? Right. <Yeah. laughs> we got it for a second. I guess so, I guess. He steps out and sees Rhodes standing by his car. Rhodes, call, he calls out to Rhodes and Rhodes like, it's just static. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's fucking sick of it. He's like, dude, yeah. it's not working. Uh, I was surprised they said that that monologue was added during the production. Wow. Really? Yeah. And it seems so crucial. Yeah. You would think, yes. Especially because it's a callback. Yes. Yeah. So that kind of surprised me. But Ed just wants to know where the key that they found by Carolyn Suzanne is. Rhodes takes the room key marked 10 out of his pocket and Paris asks if this is some kind of countdown. Ed sees Larry wandering around outside <laughs> and calls out to him. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Larry's carrying a toolbox and looks cagey as fuck yes. and weird when Ed calls him over. He asks what Larry is doing in his office when he explicitly told him to watch Maine, who again has already escaped once. Yeah. <laughs> but Larry just says that he needed to go get something. Rhodes steps inside the diner as Ed continues to ask questions about the keys to the motel. Larry says that there are two sets of keys and a master set. Inside the diner, Rhodes becomes furious, coming out to grab Larry and forcing him back inside. Ed and Paris follow them to see why Rhodes got so upset. So we're about to see what he saw. But his reaction was he goes, Oh my fucking God. Yeah. Which is what Ed should have done. Yeah. <laughs> when he saw that earlier. But I 
I, I think I, that line reading sticks with me. I don't know why. Yeah. Because it kills it. Because then he grabs Larry and he's like, you motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, he's just. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's really. It's really. Yeah. That might not have even been in the script. <laughs> <laughs> he says something else in a second that made me feel the same way. <laughs> but inside the diner, still tied to the post, Maine's head is bent back with Larry's baseball bat protruding from his throat. Needless to say, he is dead. Uh, yes. Rhodes asks why Larry killed him, but Larry is horrified. He swears that he didn't do this, despite Ed identifying that the baseball bat is his. Paris shuts the door and stares, shocked. Ed asks why Larry had left the diner, and Larry says that he didn't think they would understand. Ed assures him that he is very understanding and asks what happened. Rhodes just continues to ask why Larry killed him, but Larry maintains that he didn't. Rhodes notices a key next to Maine's foot. Room eight. <laughs> and he goes, 1098, huh? <laughs> yeah, that was, <laughs> that was just a real reaction. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. But he says that these are Larry's keys. Larry rummages through his toolbox that he's carrying to prove that they aren't. He pulls out a ring of keys, his master set. But in the midst of this, he drops the toolbox and all the contents spill out onto the floor, <laughs> including Carolyn Suzanne's cash stuffed wallet ed picks it up and he's like is this your gucci wallet larry (laughs) (laughs) larry admits to taking the wallet but says that it was after she died and he didn't kill her ed and Rhodes advance on larry as george enters the diner desperate larry grabs paris and holds a knife to her throat ed demands that he let her go and both he and Rhodes draw their guns This is when George notices that Timmy has entered the room behind him and Ed is like, get him out of here. George turns to him and he goes, Timothy? (laughs) Like, who? Fancy seeing you? It's like, that's your fucking son. Get him out out of here. This crazy motel owner's holding a knife to a lady's throat and he's just like, I want to see some freaky shit. Get this kid out of here. No one is taking care of this child. It's just unbelievable. And Larry, again, doing himself no favors. He's like, look, I did not kill this dude. Okay, I did steal the money, and I'm also going to kill this yeah. Yeah. Like, Dude, oh my God. <laughs> Will you just stop? <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> well, he watched him beat uh, dude, he, uh, the con. He, yeah, he's right. just like, this is ass. what we do, yeah, right? Yeah, he's like, oh, no, I've seen what happened. Just part of it, He was yeah. watching through the glory hole, and he's <laughs> no, like, oh, no, no, no. no, no. Oh, no. We specifically the asked whatever. Yes. No, whatever. for no glory holes. We specifically requested no hole at all. <laughs> <laughs> Glorious or otherwise, no. we said no. But Larry says that he never hurt anyone, but he doesn't like cheap whores, so he will hurt Paris. Once again, doing doing himself no favors. Good yeah. Lord. Paris is done with this, throwing herself backwards and causing both she and Larry to fall into the kitchen. She grabs onto the handles of the freezer to pull herself up and the door opens to reveal a frozen body hanging inside. The body is played by Stuart M. Besser. He's one of the producers. That's very uh, cool. All right. He falls on Paris, but Ed and Rhodes pull him off of her and look up just in time to see the door swinging from where Larry ran off. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That was a very funny show. <laughs> he just booked like he's out. Larry frantically runs to his truck. It stalls for a moment, but it starts and he takes off. Everyone runs outside and he nearly hits Rhodes and Ed when they try to stop him from leaving. 
He continues to yell that he didn't do anything. But George notices that Timmy is just standing in the middle of the fucking parking lot <laughs> as Larry's truck heads straight for him. George is like, Timothy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you what doing are you here? Doing? <laughs> of all the gin joints in the fucking... <laughs> <laughs> Larry tries to swerve to avoid hitting Timmy, but he runs straight into George, hitting him directly and pinning his body against a dumpster. See, this is what happens, Larry. <laughs> this is what happens. <laughs> Paris screams and Timmy just stares. So this one shocked me a lot. Yeah. Yes. And it's because the way that it's shot, it is shot like a, I'm going to scoop Timmy out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. And then, nah. Yeah. No, that did not happen. None of that. Before we move on, though, I did want to talk about Maine's corpse. Right. Yeah. They had said on commentary, and it surprised the fuck out of me, but that is not Jake Busey at all. That's a dummy that they made from a life cast. Oh, nice. Holy shit. His like, entire body yeah. cast. And I did, because I was looking that up and wanting to see, but it was Kurtzman and Nicotero that worked on the special effects of this Hell film. Oh, yes. shit. All right. So there you go. We love to see Hell it. Yeah. It looked great. It yeah. did. I've always thought that was like a fake like mouthpiece yeah. or yeah, something. Yeah. But that it was him, but no, it's a dummy. That's nice. amazing. We cut to the hearing where the defense attorney argues that Malcolm is diagnosed as dissociative and still has no recollection of the crimes he committed. He cites a Supreme Court ruling that dictates a person cannot be put to death if they don't understand why. Judge Taylor says that Malcolm signed a confession and the DA piggybacks that he didn't just sign it, he dictated it. The defense attorney ignores this. He only presents the conveniently misfiled evidence of Malcolm's diaries that contain entries just before the murders. Judge Taylor flips through the diary, which seems to have a different handwriting on every page. The attorney points out the difference in handwriting and says that they are the private thoughts of several different people. He invites Dr. Malik to elaborate, and he does. He says that there is no treatment for DID. All they can do is guide the patient toward integration of the personalities. Before he can go on, they are interrupted with the news that Malcolm Rivers is here. We see him being brought in in a wheelchair. I did appreciate them saying DID because a lot of times a lot of films will be like split personality yeah. disorder and that's not what it is he's right. a renowned psychiatrist i don't know if you read the yeah, papers I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> if you've looked at his scrapbook but well, <laughs> <laughs> well he does change it up later so i don't know fucking renowned he is but <laughs> i'll take your word for it back at the motel ed ties larry to a chair he says that he didn't mean to hit George and that he's not a murderer, but Rhodes counters this with the fact that they found a dead body in his freezer. Again, does not look good. No. But Larry says that he found the man dead. Neither Ed nor Rhodes believe him and start to leave, but Larry starts to confess what happened. He says that last month he went to Vegas and lost everything. Afterwards, he was driving aimlessly and was about to run out of gas, so he stopped here. He came inside and found the manager of the motel face down in his dinner, dead, presumably of a heart attack. Well, he says face down in a banquet pot pie, and Rose just keeps going, a banquet pot pie! Yeah. A banquet pot pie! Well, it's, it's too many details. Yeah. <laughs> Again, as I said, Rhodes expresses disbelief. But Larry continues... He says that he doesn't know how long he was there, but someone came in looking for a room. Larry didn't have a dime to his name, so he took the man's $30 and gave him a room. He starts to sob, saying that maybe what he did was wrong, but he was broke. He says that he moved the manager's body, who was also named Larry, 
into the freezer. He thought it was the best place since it was hot and he was just waiting for other Larry's family to come along, but family never came. More guests did though. So he just kept checking them in and giving them rooms. He just stayed. He's been doing this for a month. For a full yeah. month. <laughs> That's a lot. That's wild. Yeah. How are you just taking shots and watching Will of Fortune? Yeah, like, I'm terrified. Well, buy a vowel. <laughs> no I'd be shit. fucking yes. just shaking and shivering over my own anxiety. Come on. That's... <laughs> Rhodes tells Ed that it's a crock of shit, but Ed doesn't seem so sure. Rhodes tells Larry to admit it. He killed Larry just like he killed Maine and Lou and Carolyn. He's yelling and Jenny calls out to him from the bed where she's consoling Timmy, who was crying. She's like, he can't take anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this kid's been through a lot. Yeah. And he can't. <laughs> no. Chill out. Take him somewhere else. <laughs> but Rhodes assures her that they got the guy, so everything's going to be fine now. But Ed says that he isn't so sure. Paris reminds them that an hour ago they thought it was Maine. Rhodes can't believe any of this. He reminds Paris of the fact that Larry held a knife to her throat. Paris, though, says that Larry's story is just so unbelievable that it might be true. Ed's like, she's got a point. Yeah. You're just sweet on her. Yeah. <laughs> Rhodes does not agree with any of this. <laughs> Jenny says that maybe this is happening because of the burial grounds. She saw brochures in the lobby. A hundred years ago, the government forced Native Americans here and they all died because there wasn't any water. Rhodes is like, oh, and now they're coming back to life like sea monkeys. And Jenny doesn't have anything to say. Sea monkeys? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Well, aren't they like powder and then, or not powder, but like they're dried out and then you put them in yeah. water and they come back to life? Is it because it's raining? Is that what he's trying oh, to say? Oh, that's actually yeah. kind of clever. Yeah. Eh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> but again, this is the mention of the, the tribal tombs. Which again... It's, yeah. it's like the tropiest of tropes. It is. And yeah. it amounts to nothing. Yeah. Just very pointless. But Ed tells Rhodes to take it easy. But this just makes him do the opposite. He accuses Ed of trying to run things all night, of blaming Maine for everything. And now Maine is dead. But it's like you thought it was Maine. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's, not, yeah, don't. let's not rewrite history. <laughs> he reiterates that Larry did all of it. They all saw him run down George and they caught him with Carolyn's wallet. I would argue that George was obviously an accident. Yeah. Like, obviously, he didn't mean you, to do that. Yeah. But Jenny asked them again to just stop. Rhodes comes up with the plan then. He says that no one is going to move until dawn. Great game. <laughs> <laughs> no one comes in or out. They all sit and wait this out together. He pulls a gun on Larry and says that if Larry tries anything, he's going to shoot him. If anyone comes in, he's going to shoot him. If anyone in this room tries anything, he's going to shoot him. It's like, yes, sir. We got it. <laughs> yeah. What if I got a fart? Yeah. Like, well, like, I mean, we're all scared. We're all it. like, do I just. Not scaredy farts. Well, t- hey, those just squeak I out. Mean, you yeah. Can't, you can't, can't help that. that. Then what? Then you're going to be mad and. And you're going to shoot we'll me. Yeah, yeah. You're going to shoot a me. Fucking fart. <laughs> Can we at least get some Cheetos from the machine before we. Yeah, right. We move as a group. Down. Yeah. Move yeah. We like move in a as circle, a circle. Linked just, arms. Uh, just farting together. <laughs> <laughs> Ed tries to de-escalate the situation and tells Rhodes that everyone understands. The electricity dims and corrects itself and Rhodes slams the door. Later, they all sit in silence until Timmy gets up and walks to the door joining room four where his mom is. Jenny tells him to stay with them, but Rhodes is like, it's all right. Like, you're the one that (laughs) it's not all right. (laughs) Timmy walks into the other room. Jenny asks if anyone remembers the movie where 10 strangers went to an island and they all died one by one, but then they realized they weren't strangers at all. They all had a connection. 
Larry pipes in from the next room that they had all messed with the wrong guy and he was getting revenge. Rhodes <laughs> is like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny continues that maybe there's a connection between all of them. Larry is like, we're all in Nevada. Rhodes is like, shut up. <laughs> I... Larry is literally just answering and trying to suggest yeah, no, ideas. And he's like, if you don't shut the fuck. It's like, dude, he is trying. You need to figure this out. Yeah. Paris asks where Rhodes was taking Maine and he tells her to Carson City. The electricity continues to dim and come back on. And Paris says that she was going back home to Florida. Ed was taking Carolyn to L.A. Larry says that he was born in Florida and Rhodes gets up that's... and approaches him pointing his gun. It's funny because he's like, I was born in Florida and that's the fucking line. <laughs> like he's <Yeah>. done. <laughs> it's too much. He observes that since Larry has been tied up to that chair, no one has died. But Larry is like, since we've all been here, no one has died. And he's not wrong. That is. Timmy comes back into the room and lays down on the bed. I guess he was done with whatever he was doing in there. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Little man had to take a shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't have fucking Lou over here. <laughs> Paris asks where Larry was from in Florida. And when he tells her Polk County, she's surprised because that's where she was born. He was born in Mulberry and she was born in Frostproof. Ed is shocked that there's a town called Frostproof. And Paris explains that the name of the town doubles as a slogan because they grow oranges there. Larry says that he was happy to leave Polk County and asks why Paris would want to go back. She says that she found a lime and orange grove for sale on the Internet. She talks about the work that still needs to be done on it, but trails off saying that it's good land. Ed watches her with a small smile on his face. And when she catches him, he's like, that just sounds nice. She's like, you want to grow oranges with me? Yeah. <laughs> what are your stance on oranges? Yeah. yeah. It's such an odd, like there's like a, almost like a subtle love arc yeah, yeah because it's, it's one of those words like if we had met another time another place you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? but yeah. they didn't they met tonight then it's like, unfortunate. yeah Rhodes hears a sound in the next room and goes to investigate he finds Alice dead in her bed her eyes are open and she's cold to the touch I'm gonna be honest uh, even this time watching it as an adult. You forgot about her? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that lady. Well, they, yeah. they kind of tuck her away. Yeah. Like, you almost think she's dead when it happens. Yeah. So, True. yeah. He calls Ed over and tells him. Ed looks pained and closes Alice's eyes. Timmy comes in behind Ed and bursts into tears. <laughs> like, we got to put a bell on this yeah. one. It's <laughs> <laughs> getting ridiculous. Ed goes, and it, the situation's not funny, but Ed goes, get him out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says it i don't know i don't know it just the he's way he probably, says he's it. probably tired of telling people to take care of honestly this kid. and there's what two other people in the room yeah. yes i understand larry's tied up he can't do anything he can't be like boy boy get yeah. away. <laughs> but, <laughs> um boy you still have jenny and paris. paris yeah but jenny sweeps him away and rhodes notices something sticking out from under the bed it's a room key room six he shows Ed, who snatches it away. He says that this doesn't make any sense. Alice's death was an accident. From the doorway, Paris says that George's was too, if Larry was telling the truth. She sees the number six on the key and asks where seven is. We cut to them outside where Paris reverses the truck away from George's body. I was like, they just fucking left him. Like that. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do? I don't know, but something. Rhodes checks him and immediately finds the key to room seven in George's pocket. 
He shows it to Ed wordlessly. This is the part of the movie where I'm like, my brain can't take anymore. Like, <laughs> I, this is fucking beyond. This is the craziest shit. Larry calls out from his chair that he told them it wasn't him. Paris says that this cannot be possible. They all saw what happened and no one could have predicted it. From the doorway of the room, Jenny says, no one human. It's Come like, on, you're not helping. Yeah. Yeah. You go back inside. <laughs> Where's looking Timmy? looking after that boy. <laughs> <laughs> Rhodes mocks this. Now it's spirits. Maybe it's the guy in the freezer's ghost. Paris begins to sob and Larry just yells to be untied. Ed goes to Paris and tells her to take Jenny's car, take Jenny and Timmy and get out of here. When Jenny says that there's nowhere to go, Ed says that with the half a tank of gas that they have, they could drive until dawn. Great game. He (laughs) He tells Paris that when they come to a flooded area, turn around and go the other way. He demands that they take Timmy and go now. I love that this entire film, Ed is taking care of Timmy. Yeah. Like from the second he's, <laughs> he sees him staring at the accident, he puts him back in the car. Yeah. Like yeah. He's the only one. They follow instruction, and he says that he'll see them when the storm breaks. Rhodes is pissed, saying that they can't leave. They're suspects. I just want to, first of all, no, they're not. Second of, <laughs> all, <laughs> second of all, that's even more like romance novel. Yeah. Austin, I'll see you when the storm breaks. <laughs> yeah. So what the fuck are you doing? You're in love with her, clearly, yeah. like after two conversations. High stakes situations can bond people quicker than they should. This is the weirdest meat cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, was was uh, what's his face holding a bottle of vodka or something in his hand? Was he? Uh, Rhodes when he was like, they can't leave. I was like, is this motherfucker drinking now? Well, look, if, if there's <laughs> ever been <laughs> yeah. a time, if there were ever a time. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> but Rhodes tries to stop them, and Ed tells them to keep going. And Jenny and Timmy run to the car. Ed says that they're not suspects, but Rhodes puts his foot down. They are not leaving. He turns to go to the car when an explosion goes off. So again, with the non-anticipatory angles, yeah, the angle on Rhodes is not, you would think that you would get a shot of the explosion. Yeah, yeah. you're not expecting You just this. see a bit of the flames over the top of the motel. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So this was a big shock. Yeah. Rhodes and Ed are blown back and Larry is knocked over in his chair. Ed and Rhodes run over to the explosion site with Paris close behind and they find Jenny's car in flames. Rhodes asks Larry, who has been able to untie himself since the chair fell over, <laughs> where the fire extinguisher is, and the two of them extinguish the blaze. There is no one inside the smoldering car. Larry proposes that they were cremated, but Ed says that there would have been something left. And it was like 10 seconds. Yeah. He's like, maybe it got so hot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you want to explain that away. Like, yeah. that's too much. Well, yeah, but I mean, you can't. No. Rhodes turns his suspicions on Ed, who told them to get in the car. Paris sobs and Ed tries to take her back to the room, but they stop when they notice Rhodes looking at the empty space between the truck and the dumpster where George's body used to be. Now the key just sits on the ground. Paris asks where George is, but no one has an answer. In the diner, the baseball bat sits on the chair alone. Maine's body is gone. In room six, Lou's body has disappeared and the wall is cleaned of blood. In the laundry room, the dryer is empty. In Alice's deathbed, it is empty and made neatly. I was like, it didn't have to be made. No. <laughs> That's insult injury. It was like with the bed, it was very leaning. The yeah. Way yeah. Just very calmly leaning against the post. It's like, <laughs> come on, man. It feels antagonistic. It does. Yeah. It's rude. They all stare at the bed and the door to the room slams. Rhodes opens it and looks outside, but there's no one there. 
Paris screams that she gives up. She goes to the door and screams out into the rain, asking what they want from them. We are missing the um, Julie James spin. <laughs> yeah. But, you know. And I think she got water in one of her eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but moving on. She says that she's turning 30 next week and she just wants to go home and grow oranges. She slams the door and comes back inside the room. Larry says that it's also his birthday next week on the 10th. Now, if it is May 10th, that is a Taurus, but All they right. didn't know that. No, they didn't, yeah, know that. they didn't know that. She's just assuming she's like, well, based on my birthday. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but Paris says, me too. Rhodes too. And Ed. Larry goes to his toolbox and pulls out the copies he took of everyone's driver's license. George and Alice York, May 10th. Carol and Suzanne, May 10th. Jenny and Lou, no. If you'll oh, my God. <laughs> This is the funniest thing I've ever heard. This man's name was Lou Eziana. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, come <laughs> on, dude. <laughs> so Eziana is yes. the last, last name? Apparently. When we were um, talking <laughs> about covering this before I wrote the script, I was like, I remember the, the part where he goes through the IDs and I remember that somebody's name is hilarious, but I could not remember what it was. And when I got here and it was Lou Eziana, I had to pause it because I was fucking <laughs> dying laughing. Well, it's like there are, I, I can't off the top of my head, but there are way more options that you could have done. <laughs> yeah. But I have an explanation for it later. Well, I mean, we understand. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, even Paris, Nevada yeah, is a lot. So it's yeah. like I can't even hold it against it once, you know. Yeah. But God damn, is it funny. <laughs> I got so much enjoyment. Lou Eziana. Yeah. But Jenny and Lou Eziana. May 10th. And him, Larry Washington, May 10th. Larry says that the odds must be 10 trillion to one of them all having the same birthday. Ed looks thoughtful, and when Rhodes asks him what he's thinking, lightning strikes the roof of the motel and part of the ceiling caves in. Rain pours into the room and the electricity goes out. Everyone runs out, but Ed stays in the room, still going through the copies of the IDs. Outside, a downed wire sparks and whips around in the rain, and Rhodes asks where the fuse box is. That, those downed wires scared the shit out Dude, of me. Yeah. There was a very notable death that happened that way in Desperate Housewives, and I've been scarred ever since. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, but that's just silly. Listen, <laughs> it was Desperate Housewives. Of course it was. You know, I, well, I was thinking Final Destination, but I guess it's... All right, that's yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. But like I said, Ed is continuing to go through the IDs, and I stopped. I paused on Jenny's ID because she and Lou got married nine hours ago. So she would not have been able to change her name already. Oh, shit. Right. Or she wouldn't already have a new license yeah, reflecting yeah. Jenny Eziana. Uh huh. So I paused to look at her name. Uh, are y'all ready? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it might be worse. I don't see how, but I'm excited. Her name <laughs> is Jenny Virginia. Oh, right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Her name couldn't have just been Virginia? Yeah. And then whatever oh, yeah. her last name is? Sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Virginia West. Oh, yeah. yeah. What the there fuck? Put me in, coach? What the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, Jenny Virginia, Lou Eziana, Carolyn Suzanne, Carolina, Paris, Nevada. Oh, so hers can she, be. She can be. Yeah. <laughs> George York, Larry Washington, Rhodes, Rhode Island. 
He looks over at a map before saying his own name, Ed Dakota. (laughs) 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 He does sound kind of like a detective in a pulp novel. Like I won't won't take that away from him, but the noir. Ed Dakota was really just the cherry on top. Uh I knew someone was going to end up with it, but it was just funny that it was him. Yeah. But he slams down the toolbox in frustration and cradles his own head before reciting, when I was going up the stairs, I met a man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. I wish, I wish he'd go away. We hear Dr. Malik asking who he's speaking to right now and asking where he learned the poem. Ed shakes his head and suddenly he is sitting at the meeting and Dr. Malik is talking to him. Dr. Malik recognizes him as Edward. The ADA asks what's happening, and Judge Taylor asks if Ed can hear what they're saying. Ed responds that of course he can hear what they're fucking saying. Dr. Malik says that Ed missed his last appointment, and Ed asks if he blacked out again. Dr. Malik asks where he's been, and Ed explains that he was driving an actress and they got stuck at a motel because of the storm. Dr. Malik asks what happened at the motel, and Ed says that people started dying, but it didn't make any sense because their bodies disappeared. Dr. Malik says that he needs to show Ed something, and he slides him Malcolm Rivers' mugshot. He asks if Ed recognizes him, but Ed doesn't. Dr. Malik explains that it's a photo of Malcolm Rivers, a man who had a difficult life. He says that he was arrested four years ago after a murderous rampage that left six people dead. The detective slams crime scene photos down, jarring Ed with a picture of a woman's dead body. Dr. Malik explains that after trauma, a child's mind can fracture, creating multiple identities. And that's what happened to Malcolm Rivers. He developed multiple personality syndrome. No, which is not, not even. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's not even a syndrome. It never well, was a syndrome. It, it is today. Okay. Ed asks why he's being told this. And Dr. Malik says because Ed is one of his personalities. Ed is incredulous, but Dr. Malik just hands him a mirror without saying another word. Ed looks into the mirror, but his reflection is that of Malcolm Rivers. Ed is horrified. He throws the mirror away and asks where his face is. This is like, fuck! Yeah, that, <laughs> Holy shit! That's kind of heavy to drop on somebody who's had a really bad night. Already. And then a you really bad fucking wet mirror. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, by the way, you've never been real. Yeah. <laughs> oh. That's a lot. I What shocked me is they said on commentary that they were building the motel set at this point. Yeah. And since it wasn't completed, this is the first thing John Cusack shot. Oh my God. <laughs> so it's All like, right. how do you even know, yeah. you know, to get that proper, Yeah, yeah. but they did it. No, it's Hell good. yeah, they did. It's yeah. great. He begins to panic despite Dr. Malik trying to keep him calm. Suddenly he realizes that he's tied up. He sees his reflection in a window where the storm rages outside and he is Malcolm Rivers tied to his wheelchair. Malcolm asks where his face is, struggling against his restraints, refusing to stay calm, and demanding to know who everyone at the table is. Malcolm begs to know what happened at the motel. He asks where everyone is. Dr. Malik tells him that none of those other people exist. They were all created by Malcolm when he was a child. Malcolm tells him that he's a liar, but Dr. Malik tries to reason with him. Everyone is named after a state. Everyone has the same birthday. The blackouts. Malcolm asserts that he was a cop. He worked for the LAPD for six years. He has a studio apartment in Hollywood. But Dr. Malik tells him that he doesn't live anywhere. The face that he saw in the mirror is the face Dr. Malik sees when he talks to everyone. Ed, Paris, Larry, everyone at the hotel. 
We see pages of the diary, the different handwritings, including Timmy's childish rewriting of his own name. Dr. Malik explains that Malcolm is in the middle of a treatment that is forcing all of Malcolm's personalities to confront each other at the same time. Now, in the film, he says he's in the midst of it. Yeah. But his mouth uh, still says middle. Yeah. Because they went back and they were like, God damn, Malcolm yeah. Middle. <laughs> in my head, that's how it went. Really? <laughs> like the fucking great sitcom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brian Cranston's going places. We got to fucking edit it out. Dr. Malik says he knew this would result in violence, but with that will reduce the numbers of the identities. One of those personalities is responsible for the murders four years ago. That personality took control of Malcolm's body and released a rage. In 19 hours, Malcolm Rivers will be put to death unless Dr. Malik can convince Judge Taylor that the person that committed the murders is gone. Malcolm begins to struggle, shaking his head and becoming Ed, then Malcolm, then Ed again. Ed is outside looking at the motel, then back at the table with Dr. Malik. Dr. Malik pleads with him that the killer cannot survive. Ed shakes his head and he's back in the rain, staring at the motel. He feels the rain in his fingers. Him touching the rain was like, made me like weirdly emotional. Cause well, it's like, because, he's really yeah, here. You yeah, know what I mean? Ugh. But none of it's real. I wanted to commend the editing in that sequence. Yes. Yeah. Because from person to person, location to... Yes. Yeah. It's a lot, and it really does feel very cohesive. Yeah. yeah. It is one... I mean, having taken psychology classes as I have, I do, like, there's a lot that they get wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they do get some stuff right. Uh, trauma yeah kind of being the catalyst to these altars being created so that's it seems like they're like about 30 percent correct <laughs> but it's a movie it is, yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so and it's a great movie so maybe we'll pretend it's a slight, yeah, pass. Yeah. slight pass we'll leave the books outside <laughs> yes <laughs> Rhodes checks the fuse box at the motel and larry goes to get him a flashlight when he can't see anything Paris runs to Rhodes's car to check the radio, but sees that the radio has been torn out. Son this is why he didn't want Ed checking the fucking yeah. radio. He's like, it's just static, man. Get yeah. out. Yeah. Rhodes, it's just static. Yeah, go eat some static fucking Cheetos, man. You broke it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because you ripped it from the fucking yeah. thing. She goes into the glove compartment and stares in horror at the files inside. Files that reveal that Rhodes is not an officer. He's an inmate, just like Maine. We freeze frame on her surprised face. If y'all thought there weren't going to be any more freeze frames, you were wrong. <laughs> this is like, I remember watching this and I was like, I can't take anymore. No. <laughs> like, this is too much. It's like we were just with Malcolm. Yes. Yeah. Give me a I second. I can't take another yeah. twist. <laughs> we cut to the police car traveling down the desert road. Rhodes sits next to Maine in the back seat. Rhodes cuts a slit in the seat in front of him before pulling a shiv out of his sock. Maine watches excitedly as Rhodes puts the weapon into the slit and slams it in with his foot. Immediately, the cop driving the car goes limp and the car swerves all over the road. Rhodes gets out of the car and changes into the officer's suit. When Maine pokes his head out of the back seat and asks what he's supposed to wear, Rhodes tells him that he's already wearing it and slams the door on him. He slams the trunk containing the officer closed inside. This is why he's wearing the lucky shirt. It's uh -huh. not so lucky. <laughs> Wasn't for that son of a bitch. Yes. <laughs> oh, but in my defense of the names that I was going to say. Oh, yes. This was made up in a child's mind. Like, yeah. of course, it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. yeah. Of course, it's very over the top. He's like, Louis, lose a first name. I'll just use that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I thought that it was 
interesting that geography played such a role in it because I thought that what it was going to be was that he was like a traveling serial killer. Mm, that's interesting. But he just yeah. killed it like one apartment. Yeah. Well, in my <laughs> in my mind, maybe. Because I was like, oh, that's where all the murders happen. Louisiana, right. fucking yeah. maybe it was Caroline. Like a, a traveling apartment. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've all heard of that. In my mind, because he was left alone in a motel. Oh, that's why the setting uh, is the motel. Yeah. yeah. Maybe there's a, a map on the wall. You know what I mean? That I mean yeah. that's, that's how it went down in my head. Okay. I guess and his works. brain is just like, okay, let's fucking make some magic. I don't right. know. Right. Like, let's, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he, that's, that's all he has. Yeah. Sitting there. Yeah. yeah. That's why we're at a motel. I mean, like it, it all fits. Yeah. Back at the motel, Paris finds the dead officer in the trunk. She tries to quietly call Larry, but he doesn't hear her. Rhodes does, though. (laughs) She runs around looking for Ed, trying to be quiet. She calls out to both him and Larry, and when she hears Larry call her name, she runs over in that direction. But she doesn't find Larry. She finds Rhodes. So did Rhodes do a Larry impression? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I thought. Like, what the fuck? Gabagool. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's Larry. Oh, that's right. <laughs> All right, I'm over here, whore. <laughs> oh, oh, that's, him. Yeah. that's horrible. That's Larry. <laughs> that's Larry. It's like they really humanize him in the back half. But I didn't forget. Yeah, no. I didn't forget. Oh, we remembered your dick. A piece of shit. Yeah. It's funny because when Paris is like, I think it's when she's like, I think he might be telling the truth or whatever. Rhodes is like, oh, we're best friends now. Or no, yeah. When she's like, what county were you born? Yeah, yeah. Oh, now we're best friends. Well, he's right. He's like, he's been treating you like shit. Yeah. He, he held yeah. a knife to your neck. But she screams. And just as he grabs her and asks where the keys to the truck are, Larry comes up behind him and knocks him out with the fire extinguisher. Bam, bitch went down. <laughs> no, but Rose goes down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rose, yes. Paris commends him and says that they need to find Ed because he has the keys, but Larry has another set. Paris still wants to know where Ed is, but Larry just tosses her the keys. This is like a very like... And again, at this point, we know that Larry's not real, but this was a huge moment of growth. I thought that he was yeah. giving her the keys. That's fair. We still don't forget. No, no, no. But he says that they need a gun and tries to take it from Rhodes. But surprise, Rhodes isn't knocked out. <laughs> he shoots Larry in the stomach and then again in the chest. He turns his gun on Paris and tells her to give him the keys to the truck. He fires at her, but she's like too fast and runs <laughs> outside. I want to say Larry has kind of one of the most ridiculous deaths ever. Yeah. It's just because, immediately. Well, because he's like, let me pick up this gun while pointing the barrel directly at my back. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he's just. I can't believe that happened. Yeah, oh, who could have predicted this? It's like, come on, dude. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's a rookie mistake. <laughs> she tries to get into the truck, but Rhodes stumbles outside and continues to fire at her. So she runs and hides in a storage room before going out another door on the other side. Rhodes goes into the room after her, but finds it empty and is unable to get out of the other door. Paris continues to run until she runs right into Ed. She is absolutely frantic, insisting that they need to get out of here. But Ed is calm. He whispers to her to stay here and assures her that everything is going to be okay. He is like fucking nirvana calm serene like he's unbothered yeah i will say though that when he did kind of grab her and like pull her back it was almost i'm also a killer energy Uh, a little bit i I was like oh shit did he learn what did he learn like it was me (laughs) (laughs) they called forth the right personality like oh my god he heads back onto the motel property where Rhodes still skulks around 
The two stare at each other until Rhodes tells Ed to stay where he is and throw him the keys to the truck. Instead, Ed pulls his gun and walks towards Rhodes. The two of them fire at the same time, hitting each other. Paris screams as Ed continues toward Rhodes. Rhodes shoots Ed two more times before he runs out of bullets. Ed keeps coming, though, finally reaching Rhodes and pressing his gun into his stomach before firing three times. There's something said here that was later cut out, but you can still see their mouth saying yeah. it. I never like really knew until I was reading something and it saw it on there. I'm so fucking glad that they cut it out. Well, uh, because it kind of leads you. I'm so glad that they cut it out, but we'll talk about it in a minute. All right. Okay. All right. Rhodes slumps down against the building and Ed falls into the parking lot. Paris rushes to him and gets down on the ground, assuring Ed that she's going to get him to a hospital. She tells him to wrap his arms around her neck so that she can help him get to the truck. She tries to lift him, but he doesn't help her at all, just continues lying in the parking lot. She screams at him, sobbing, asking why he won't let her help him. She asks where he went and what he saw. Ed just looks at her before whispering, I saw you. I saw you in an orange grove. Paris stares at Ed as he slips away. Nah. <laughs> it gets me every time. It's like you were 30. <laughs> <laughs> you make it so 30. you make it out. <laughs> it's, it's it kills well, me. I saw you in an orange grove. I think I it's, can't deal with it. It's it's a very sweet moment. It again though, it's like, so you guys are like in love? Or, <laughs> <laughs> like, it just feels very odd. Maybe they could have kissed or something earlier. That might have well, been that might have been too much. Well, if they kissed, you'd have been like, "Oh, so now we're a couple." We don't need to look. For five I minutes. can't be pleased. Please. <laughs> <laughs> this is something you got to learn as about me. As long as we're on the same page. <laughs> we cut to the hearing where Malcolm, in a soft voice, asks, "Why won't you let me help you? Where did you go? What did you see?" He answers himself in a calmer voice with a small smile. I saw you in an orange grove. A tear slips from his eye as we fade back into the motel. But they're watching him like he's a one-act play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like he's doing a one-man show. Bravo, bravo. Yeah. Bravo. The, judge, <laughs> the judge is eating popcorn. Yeah, they're all crying. It's like, but it's a lot. It's yeah, so much. It and it works very well. It's so much. Mm -hmm. That part kills me. Like this whole ending is like. No, it's great. Right to the heart. But all alone now, Paris drives away from the motel in Larry's truck. The storm is over. We fade her face into Malcolm's as Dr. Malik explains that the question here is whether to convict the body or the mind. Malcolm's body committed murder, but his mind did not. The defense attorney argues that they saw 10 personalities die tonight. Nine were innocent, but one was guilty. The ADA argues that those people were not real, but the defense attorney says that the person who committed the murders has already been executed. Dr. Malik asserts that Malcolm belongs in a state hospital. As we watch Malcolm be led to a van, we hear Judge Taylor order that Malcolm Rivers' execution be stayed. He is to be under Dr. Malik's care in a state psychiatric facility. I might be wrong, but I don't know if judges can do that. If they're like, you know what? Judge take Taylor it back. can. Get him a coffee black. <laughs> yeah. He's like, He'll do whatever He's the fuck you want. Man. He'll make a birthday cake out of you. <laughs> we see Malcolm sitting happily in the back of the van while Dr. Malik rides in the front passenger seat before cutting to Paris as she drives through an orange grove. I guess she just like kept Larry's truck. Oh, well. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he doesn't need it. I mean, shit. 
She is happy, singing along with the song on the radio as Malcolm sings the same song in the back of the van. In the next scene, Paris hangs up clothes to dry outside of her home on the orange grove. Ed was right. Mm -hmm. She begins to dig in the soil beneath the tree with a garden claw, but freezes when she finds a room key. Room one. She pulls it from the dirt and begins to tremble. She looks up to see someone standing over her, holding the claw. It's fucking Timmy. Hey, little Timmy. Son of a bitch. Really? (laughs) (laughs) In the backseat of the van, Malcolm begins to struggle, and Paris calls out to Timmy as we see it all unfold. Carol and Suzanne being stalked by Timmy in the alley holding a knife. Timmy timing his run into the road so that George would be hit by Larry's truck. Timmy coming at Lou with a knife. Timmy smiling in his car as his mother is hit by Ed's limo. Timmy covering his mother's nose and mouth as she struggles to breathe. Timmy approaching a tied up mane, dragging a bat behind him. Timmy smoothly walking away from the explosion that killed Jenny. That shot is pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it it fucking hilarious. That was, it's an action hero shot. <laughs> I was like, okay, some of these work. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not all of them. Maybe not uh, Die Hard over here. Yeah. <laughs> Little Die Hard or whatever. <laughs> die and Die Small. <laughs> Wait, it's not Die Large. What the fuck am I yeah. talking about? Die soft? Dude, just keep reading. Keep reading. (laughs) Cut cut that, cut that, cut that. (laughs) Oh my God, I can't breathe. (laughs) But here in the orange grove, he slams the garden claw in his hand over and over as Malcolm begins to plead in the back seat. No, please, Timmy. Dr. Malik hears him and opens the divider. Asking him if he's all right. No. You know Timmy. Yeah, you're aware. Him saying that name means that um, but yeah. you know well i i was ridiculous because i forgot I, we spent so much time in the motel i forgot that these were alternate personalities yeah, yeah. so whenever he's at the orange grove i was like this little bastard followed her all the how did oh wait he's not real yeah, not real. yeah. Nobody's real. <laughs> <laughs> with the barrier between them down malcolm and timmy say at the same time whores don't get a second chance Timmy brings the claw down on Paris, just as Malcolm strangles Dr. Malik with the chain between the cuffs. He looks menacingly at the driver of the van before we see it swerve and eventually skid to a stop in the dirt. Timmy whispers, when I was going up the stairs, I met a man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. I wish, I wish he'd go away. We hear a beating heart as it cuts to black and the credits roll. So before we move on very quickly back at the motel mm-hmm. when Ed kills Rhodes, oh, right. what he says is, well, Rhodes says it wasn't me or I didn't do it. And then Ed goes, I know <laughs> as he's killing him. Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> like the job wasn't to eradicate all of them. It was to get the killer. So if he knew that right. Rhodes didn't do it. But he's still murdering him. Yeah. 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 But then that makes it seem like it was Ed because if Rhodes is like, I didn't do this, and he's like, I, I know. know. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's fucking weird. Especially because yeah. he wasn't. No. Yeah. It was weird to put that in there at all. Yeah. I don't know why it was in there. And you can see their mouths. Yeah. No, yeah. they still say it. Like, yeah. But anyway, what did you guys think of identity? Oh, I love it. <laughs> Hell it's yeah. It's great. Um, I know he complained about the phones and all that, but I mean, th- like the little stuff like that, 
yeah, it's nitpicky, but I I really enjoy this movie. Like, I really, really like this movie. But especially little stuff like that, when you're realizing that none of this actually is yeah, happening, no, it yeah. really it, doesn't no, yeah, matter. It doesn't like, matter. it's like the ultimate get-out-of-jail-free card. They have the best one. Yes. Yeah. Because there's so many little things that you're like, well, that doesn't even... Yeah, but... Doesn't matter. Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Uh, I really enjoy this movie. I feel like nostalgia does kind of play a little bit of a role. Mm-hmm. But like Nay had said earlier, I feel like if I had watched this for the first time now, I would still enjoy it a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's not one of those that it's like I have to forgive a lot of stuff to allow myself to enjoy it. Right. There is now it's not like 100% perfect or anything because there is still some stuff that stands out <laughs> that I... um Like the freeze framing? That's a lot. <laughs> and some of the other choices made and honestly a couple of i will say i understand you're trying to get a certain number of characters in this film yeah i don't know that all of them are necessary sure they are i mean i (laughs) honestly like feel like some of them are very well fleshed out but then you got people like lou and you're like oh you're just a fucking pig that's just your whole thing that's there's nothing more to you at all uh ed is very nuanced Paris is nuanced, but then there's, you know, so I mean, it's, it's kind of hit or miss in the characterization, yeah. but I feel like that even if some of the seams show a little bit, it's still very good. Yeah. And the twist still hits. Oh yeah. Yes. I absolutely love this movie. I did as a teenager. I do today. I will forever. I love it. I'm not going to say that it's perfect, but to me it's pretty close. Um, that twist, that's one of those that just sticks with you. Yeah. Uh, I would recommend this to anyone. The <laughs> acting is great. I mean, it's just oh, fucking yeah. great. I mean, honestly, I can just keep complimenting it or we can slide <laughs> yeah. over to ratings. Either way. <laughs> um, But yeah, like I said two seconds ago, I really adore this. It's mm. one of those that I have like a sweet spot for. Mm-hmm. I love the cast. I love the story. There are moments like Louisiana where I, again, <laughs> there's a pass for it, but that right. doesn't make it any less ridiculous. Right. Um, but who cares? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just great. I feel like everyone here does their job. It looks great. If you had told me that this was filmed 100% at a motel, I would believe you. Oh, yeah. Very um, true. It just, it is great. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else to say about it. Uh that last scene with Ed in Paris brought a little tear to my eye. I know that it's coming. Yeah. The mm-hmm. twist still gave me goosebumps. I know it's coming. Like, <laughs> there's something for me very special about this that I just either cannot or will not grow out of. It's yeah. always just going to be magic to me. But logically, mm-hmm. I know that this is not the greatest film right. ever made. I mean, obviously not. That's House. No, oh, come but on. <laughs> <laughs> on a scale from one to 10, cryptic room keys. I am going to give Identity 9 out of 10 cryptic room keys. Holy shit. Right. I fucking love this movie, and I will not apologize for it. <laughs> but I will now open the floor to you. I mean, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, I really like the movie. And, and I know uh, we said earlier about John Cusack being in it, and... For me, it's kind—it's of, kind of like 1408. Like yeah. I can watch 1408 anytime, and it's yeah. fine. This is 
kind of in that same thing. And I remember, and I don't know if it's just him, because I remember I think it was 2012. I used to watch this shit all the time. <laughs> and I don't know why, but it was like, oh, no, it's because he's yeah. in there. Uh, but this does fall into one of those movies for me, too. So I really, really like this movie. Uh, perfect. Yeah, no, I get it. You know what I mean? It's got, it's, it's, there's sometimes we're laughing when we shouldn't be. Um, but Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah. Ginny, Virginia. Come on. <laughs> that that could have been so easily avoided. Yeah, it, it could have. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is, it is a good movie. And I, I do think too, uh, that you're right, T, if we did watch this, you know, now we would have enjoyed the shit out of it still. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm going to give identity on a scale from one to 10 cryptic room keys. Nailed it. All right. <laughs> an 8.5. I, okay. I do like this movie. It is good. And mm -hmm. then knowing that, like you saying about them shooting on set and like I couldn't tell. Oh no. Like I really same thing. Oh, they did this all at a real hotel that they found or, or, you know, whatever they bought or motel. I'm sorry. And there, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, but no, yeah, it's great. It looks good. And, and even watching it now still, I'm like, Oh man, it was you the whole time. It's not real, but I mean, <laughs> it, it is good. I, I agree that it's a really good film. I enjoy it. I've watched it like three times in the past few days. Yeah. Mm. So it's not even one that it's like, oh, you know, I guess I'll watch. No, it's a fun time. Yeah. And even if some of it is a little bit ridiculous, because <laughs> yeah. it does get a little bit ridiculous, yeah. it's still good. Uh, on the positive side, we already said the characters, the story and the mystery, I think, are probably up there for me as far as the biggest pluses. Yeah. The set design is great. I meant to call out the music. It's Alan Silvestri. Death Becomes Her. Ah, uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Among it's others. a 10. It's oh, a 10. On, no. <laughs> Let me go back. Good Lord. Uh, I love, he's probably done like things that are way bigger and we're like, uh, Death Becomes Her. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing bigger. But, and we love that film. Um, but I think that a lot of the performances are great. The set design, love the idea of one location. Yeah. For the most part, there are those scenes in the, um, whatever is that the courthouse? Uh, right? I guess. Yeah. yeah. They never really, yeah. That it's dude's like, we're having a meeting yeah. tonight. Somewhere. <laughs> yeah. like, All right. I guess it's the courthouse. Uh, the editing is great too, to be able to cut back the way that they do. Oh yeah. Between the different, uh, situations. Uh, negative side. I love the reveal so much. Mm. but the shot of that kid walking away from the car is like That's hilarious, hilarious. Yeah, yeah. because die small right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we all make mistakes <laughs> my thing i think my thing about that is that they were i know they turned away when the explosion happened right but uh john cusack was looking right he in that was. Yeah, he was. <laughs> <laughs> and he would have seen a little kid yeah. walking away calmly not even like he looked really yeah. he looked really like a sly too like yeah, yeah, just, like, yeah. yeah. just evil and cunning <laughs> <laughs> but i think in the other murders make sense he could have totally murdered lou in the room with the knife yeah you know even if it's i know it's all in malcolm's head mm. but it still kind of is able to exist within the bounds of reality because right. he could have killed carolyn yeah. as well yeah so it all makes sense the explosion is just the one that I'm like, this is just yeah. beyond. I feel like the explosion happens in a moment we where once again, it's like, I can't take anymore. Yeah, it's like, yeah. The bodies are disappearing. Like they, this is too much. And now <laughs> shit is exploding. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, awesome. 
And there are those hokier parts, like with Louisiana. Yeah, I mean, this. I is love just, it. So that's, that's a lot. But I mean, when you look at it from a psychological standpoint, it does make sense that the little boy, because that's who Malcolm would relate to the most, because at that time is when the trauma happened. Mm-hmm. Like, so you can kind of feed into it a little bit. And also, that's one thing I know that when it comes to DID, alters don't necessarily represent or have to. They're more just um, created as a coping mechanism. Right. So it's not like, oh, that means that this is this for them. It doesn't have to do Mm -hmm. that. So it was interesting that Timothy and Paris are really the only ones that represent anything. Yeah. uh, We were moving really fast at that point because everything is fucking bananas. But I did want to point out the interesting symbolism of kind of her being his surrogate mother and Timmy being, you know, his child self yeah. that was developed at that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it is very interesting. So I thought that was neat. Uh, Adds another like layer, but it's not like necessarily shoving it down. Yeah, your throat. Yeah. No. Um, but I mean, with all that considered, it, it's a good time. I'll watch it <laughs> plenty, plenty times more. But for me on a scale of one to 10 cryptic room keys, that's it. I am going to give identity <laughs> I said that weird. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. You want to know why I said it weird? Because I just watched. Okay. <laughs> I, I cannot stop watching Zodiac. And um, in one of the Zodiac's letters, he misspells identity and they read it the way he spelled it. He goes, in this cipher, you will find my identity. And I keep saying it like that. And it's because I can't stop fucking watching it. And it's gotten to the point where I watch Zodiac and I quote it along with it. So I just Maybe we take a break. Maybe a little break. I'm going to watch it tonight. (laughs) So on a scale from one to 10 cryptic room keys, I'm going to give identity. Eight cryptic room keys out of ten. I very much enjoy this movie. Oh yeah, it's like a childhood staple. Yeah, for sure. One of those that just has always been there and will always be there. It's part of our identity. Fucking jerk. Die small. I'm just getting roasted. <laughs> Well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate Identity and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at Blood and Smoke, at RealStreeter84, and at TravisMWH. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special shout out to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember, when you take on a project that can mean the difference between life and death, make sure you deal with every aspect no matter how big or small. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned for a special shout out to our Wendigo Getter patrons. Woo! Yeah! Oh, yeah. Yes! All right. <laughs> I feel like we've gotten past yes. that. Okay. <laughs> a special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M, Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, Guy54, Lala Thomas, Travis Anissa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Jennifer Perez, Pierre Lombard, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ and Angie Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Andy Teague, Applin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Jonathan Booth, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rezac, Molly Gerhardt, 
Armand Spasto, Aaron Aguirre, Eggie, William Barry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Auctioner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Eden, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Melissa Sierra, Holly Bryan, Jordan Blevins, Liz Heath, Spencer Montavo, Pancake de Panda, John Ramos, Michael Nuding, Alexis Roberts, Dan Laveau, Itzy M, Gary Horton, Amanda Aliff, Leisha Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos and Sydney, Jessica Hunter, Helena Rudder, Alan Johnston, Mariah, Livy Fun, Mandy M, Scott Troutman, Mozzie Bear, Brittany G, Dave Burke, Adrian Stakes, Craig Kowalski, Beth, Nick Spill, Emma Hagel Kissinger, Ashley Weidman, Angelica Cornelius Witt, Valerie G, JSL, Emiliana, Brian Glass, CB, Maya Noches, Taylor Santana, Will Lewison, Angelique, Smelly Poo Poo Head, Beth Bauer, Ben Coons, Cookie, Esperanza J, Jace OKC, Joshua Rumley, Danielle Peralta, Hannah R, Brandon, Nicholas Carter, Sawyer Reese Farr, Dr. Diva Loves Horror, Girl That's Scary, M. Fryback, Cassandra, Andrea Simmons, and Ashley Higetta. Thank you all so much. Yes. Yes. Thank you. We love you. Is that too far? Was that too much? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys we just went quiet. Right now. No, no, it's true. Right. We love each and every each and every one of you so much. And we're not motel and lies. <laughs> <laughs> it took place in a most yeah. of it, yeah. Yeah, like 98. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time.